Blog Talk Radio. everybody doing? This is Everett Sands with the West Foundation. Welcome. Um, it's been a long week. We took last week off uh, because of the election, and who knew that it was going to be until Saturday, until the president-elect was named. Um, but congratulations uh, to president-elect Joe Biden and his vice president, Kamala Harris. But uh, we're here today just to talk a little bit of sports, a little leadership, and also just to talk a little academics and just be able to pour into the lives uh, of young people and their parents. And just a little bit about the West Foundation. Again, we were started about four years ago, and our goal is to help kids understand that they can be successful without being a professional athlete. Now, we want them to chase their dreams, but at the same time, we understand that their sport is going to end at some point. So what we want to do is help equip them with some tools where they can go ahead and have some things in place where success can be attained. And unfortunately, we see too too many kids that uh, for one reason or another, whether they make it or they don't, after they finish playing, they just don't have a lot of tools on their tool belt to help them be successful. And that's what we want to do. Give them some tools to help them be successful. Now, one of the things that uh, we do, our major thing is we have a big uh, camp in the summertime where we have guys that played with me and guys that played for me come back and be the coaches. And it is a free camp for the kids. Give them an opportunity to see some guys um, that have found that success that these kids are looking for. And then we also started doing a series of life skills seminars, um, things talking about social media, uh, mental wellness, uh, financial literacy, um, dealing with police officers, just things that we think that are vital for kids to hear and and start to learn. And then we also do some other different clinics. Um, before COVID started, we were going to have a basketball clinic. We're going to do soccer. Um, we're looking into adding tennis and, and doing some other things. So we're not just going to be football, but we wanted to, to go on and have an opportunity to do some other sports as well. Now, one of the things I like to do is just talk about the thought of the day. And the thought of the day is fear. Is it good or bad? And I think that there's sometimes fear can be good, and there's sometimes it can be bad. Um, Here's a quote that I found, and it says that fear sometimes stops you from doing stupid things, but can also stop you from doing creative or exciting or experimental things. It can cloud your judgment of others and lead to all kinds of evil. The control and understanding of our personal fears is one of the most 
important undertakings in our life. And I think that is so true because there are times that fear will stop you from doing something that you know you shouldn't do uh, because you you know there could be a consequence of it. But at the same time, sometimes fear stops you from doing things that you think you might fail at that you actually have an opportunity to do, and it might even be to your benefit to go try to do it. You know, one of the fears that I have is at times I I fear that I'm not going to be good enough, you know, at whatever it is. So that drives me. That's that's a driving force for me to help me go on and make sure that I do the things that I need to do to put myself in a position where I can be successful. And, you know, that can be a good thing at times, and other times it's not good. Uh, because you can put a lot of mental anguish on yourself. And, and I assure you that that mental battle in your mind often has fear as a component in there. For instance, um, we should fear the Lord. It's not be afraid of him, but reverence him, knowing that he is almighty, but also knowing that he could take us out if he wanted to or allow us to be taken out. Um, but the thing is, he shows us more grace and mercy then we deserve. There's no doubt about that. And fear sometimes can be a motivator. But as a, as a coach, I found that it's a not very effective motivator. Um, there's a difference between being fearful and knowing that there's a consequence to your actions. So there's a difference there. And then I think as a coach or a person in authority, if you use fear as a tool, a lot of times it's not as effective because a lot of kids know that you don't necessarily care about them. You're just trying to be make them afraid of you. But if I know the person cares or if the player knows that I care, but also knows that if he does something he's not supposed to do, that there's going to be a consequence, that is usually pretty effective. But just being the big bad wolf is, is not going to work. It's not. It might work for a little while, but eventually it's not going to work. Now, on the other side of fear, is sometimes we don't pursue some things that we should pursue because we're afraid. Sometimes we're afraid that we might be successful. You know, one day uh, I was recruiting a young man, and he didn't do well on his, his ACT. I had an opportunity to talk to him years later, and it was he was afraid of being successful. You know, he was a quarterback. He had an opportunity to come be the guy or potential to be the guy because he was a very talented athlete. And, and just talking with him, I think he was afraid of getting there, having success, or having that opportunity and not being successful. So sometimes fear will stop us. So we got to make sure that, that our fear uh, is a healthy fear and that it's not going to stop us from reaching our potential. Now, I truly believe that you can do almost anything that you want to do. Now, if you're 5-4, the chance of you playing in the NBA isn't going to be great. Now, that doesn't mean you still can't be part of professional basketball. Whether you're in a coaching role, an administrative role, you still have an opportunity to get to the NBA. The key is don't let your fear stop you from chasing your dream. You won't always get the dream the way you thought or how you thought, but if you chase it, you'll see some form of that dream come to realization. The problem with a lot of people is they see the opportunity dressed up in work clothes and they stop. Or they come up against an obstacle or a stumbling block and they become discouraged and they stop. 
the key is don't quit and don't be afraid to evaluate yourself constantly and figure out if my purpose and what my dreams are align. Sometimes they don't align. But if you can get your purpose to go hand in hand uh, with your dreams, success is going to be yours. Now, here is a, a, another quote from Les Brown that I, that I found. And it said, too many of us are, living, are not living our dreams because we are living our fears. So don't live your fears, live your dreams. And you're going to have to fight for them. Now, tonight, as my co-host, I have uh, a good friend of mine, Marco Butler. Marco, how's everything going? Doing great. Doing great this evening. Glad to be here. Great thought of the day. <laughs> no, I appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. It's uh, something that you know, I think we're going to probably hit on a little bit later because one of our guests is going to talk a little bit about mental wellness. And, you know, that battle in your mind is real. And that's regardless exactly. if that's in sports or if it's not in sports. That's real. And and it, and how you come out of that battle a lot of times determines if you're successful or not. Right. Exactly. I mean, I had the fear. Like I said, it could be both ways with fear. Well, I mean, I guess the only negative fear I had was my mom. <laughs> right. So fear, right. fear of disappointing or not mm-hmm. doing something, you know, that'll teach you not to do it. But most of the fear is always really about being not in control of everything and as pushes you to do better, though, in the plan and all that. I think it works out perfect. Yep, no doubt about it. Now, you all have a, you know, a little bit different lifestyle right now. Tell us a little bit about how COVID has affected you all over at Catawba. Well, you know, I'm at Catawba College, you know, only Division II school in North Carolina, and the handling, I mean, like I said, I'm a planner a lot, so a lot of stuff is out of your control with everything. You kind of really take directions of what you can do, what you cannot do. And it's been that way since since the summertime, once we were able to get uh, student-athletes back on campus, which was a whole process in itself, getting on campus. And you know, after the kids had to be tested before they arrived on campus. And, you know, there's so many precautions that they go through on a daily basis as far as screenings each morning to mm-hmm. test, you know, and they have testing each week. And, you know, for us, some student-athletes in football are – playing right now but we're not playing we're we're playing in the spring so for okay. us in all athletics uh, no one has begun their season yet and so we have to do the testing each week uh multiple times and also you know you know just taking care of yourself on campus you know we have you know signs signage everywhere of where you can go to have the you know the spacing a lot of the desk and all the classrooms and offices I mean, of course, masks are worn, but you have certain only you can go one way and only that direction, so you don't pass go different paths with people. So, so just learning wow. how to go about that each day, and you know, in the buildings, and you know, how to communicate with people, and then you know, you get new updates all the time each month. Right. You know, now, I mean, people you can have in a room at a time. We are fortunate to have. All of our players on campus. I know I talk to some people that people are just remote. Our class is a little more. It's some of that are all, all on, in class. Some are all online. Some are hybrid. Some go to class a day, then they'll be online for a couple of days. 
during the week. So it's all it's a little mixture of all. And, you know, they have some professors that, you know, that, that didn't want to come on campus to teach, so they're doing it online. Right. So it's, it's a little now, different. It's definitely a lot different. You know, uh, I know my son gets out of school um, next week. So they'll finish up. And, and what they decided to do at Vanderbilt is – that um, when they go home for Thanksgiving, they're done for the semester. So they took away fall break, and now they're getting ready to come home and don't have to go back until January the 20th. So they get two solid months out. We're similar. I think a lot of universities kind of are, are in a similar role. We're, we're going for the, this week and next week. And like I said, when they go home for Thanksgiving, they're gone just like that. And when we come back on January, like I said, the 25th, I believe, of January, so it is a two-month break, which, and, you know, like I said, they didn't have a fall break, which you want to mm-hmm. keep them on campus as much as you can, and, and you know, just have them deal with if a, a positive test come up, how do you quarantine, and, you know, just all those things, measures you have to take in place, and right. sometimes you don't want those kids to go back home, because you never know who's at home. Exactly, exactly. And that is... I imagine that's what they want to do is avoid them going home, coming back, and then going back. And I'm sure there'll be some right. non-social distances at Thanksgiving. Uh, just <laughs> give them everybody the opportunity to to get over it. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, sure. Now, so you are going to have a spring schedule. We have a uh, we have a spring schedule set in place. It just kind of finalized. And it was different because, you know, like I said, you see some schools that are playing right now, and we were able to somewhat practice in the fall, a spring practice in the fall. So we have a spring schedule set. Uh, each conference in Division Two kind of did it differently, mm-hmm. uh, how they went about it. Like we're playing four, two, five games okay. uh, in the spring, starting in March during March and April, you don't want to play a full season and turn around and play a full season come August and September. So exactly. we was playing half a season there. And then, you know, some teams are able to play up to a couple more games if they would choose to. But we, we thought that was a good number. And then, you know, different conferences, some conferences aren't playing games, but they're kind of scrimmaging in as, as a NFL training camp type of deal with teams. So everybody's different how they're going about it. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely different as far as for the student athlete. And but you know, the positive thing I guess on their end is they don't lose a year of eligibility with that aspect exactly. of it. That's good. So that's a positive thing for them on their end. I guess it'll become more difficult for us in a year or so trying to you know with numbers and stuff. But right now is a good thing. That's true. That's very true. So it's. The um, and that's 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 one of the things that I keep wondering. Um, with the numbers next year, how is that going to affect everything? I mean, is there going to be just that many more scholarships, or is it going to be you can't sign as many guys next year? Have you all got a good feel for I that? I believe year? I believe this year coming up, they don't have a. Uh... I don't know if I'm misquoted, but I don't believe you have a scholarship limit of it. it had, besides what it has in place already, it's not going to count against you. But mm-hmm. I think it kicks in the following year where you have the issue where, you know, 
how do we pay for all of these scholarships? And if you have those guys that are fifth year, six year back, and you have incoming freshmen, and you, and that becomes more of the time where you may possibly see some kids that are in the transfer portal or whatnot to finish up mm-hmm. their career elsewhere. So I guess those kids have to make a choice as well then, and 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 the uh, institution. So right. the numbers are get a little bit. It would be okay this year because it doesn't really count against you with eligibility or playing in a year. And for I guess for the 2022 classes where it becomes more difficult with signing and you having those guys that are back that are freshmen and freshmen freshmen, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You have it's a roster be, limit. Uh, it's going to be a backlog. Maybe 175. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. But speaking of interesting, last week was uh, we had some good games on last week. Oh, well, first man. of all, yeah. the the MAC and the Pac-12 joined playing football, and we had some matching going on on Wednesday night. Um, of course, you know I used to coach at Ohio U, so I got to make sure I follow my Bobcats. And unfortunately, they fell to uh, Central Michigan, twenty-seven to, right. to uh, thirty. Um, in the Pac-12, Southern Cal found a way to beat Arizona State. Oh man, yeah, and, they found a way. And they scored two touchdowns in the last two minutes of the game. So it is truly found a way. And uh, so we'll see how, how good USC is. And oh, excuse me, they're not USC. The real USC is in South Carolina. Uh, <laughs> but we'll see how Southern Cal is. Um, Colorado had a nice win against UCLA. And Oregon uh, beat Stanford. Washington State beat Oregon State. The conference everybody was watching was the ACC. First of right. all, another uh, another crazy game. Uh, the U, as I was just sort of going back and forth, um, the uh, the U found a way to beat NC State. Once again, they scored right. the last 13 points of the game. And, uh, and yep. with, with a touchdown with a little over two minutes to play. And then the other shocker was Liberty beating Virginia Tech. Exactly. Uh, That was a a crazy (laughs) – you know, Liberty scored with about a minute, 41 to play. Virginia Tech answers in less than a minute, and then Liberty goes down and kick a field goal with five seconds left. So that was the the last – I mean, there's a lot of fourth-quarter games here. And then, of course, the one that everybody was watching, which, uh, of course, here in South Carolina – you probably felt it the most was Notre Dame beating Clemson in double overtime. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you think of that game? Do you think it was just because Trevor Lawrence wasn't there, or or do you think which they're probably going to meet each other again in the ACC championship? I would imagine. But but what That's was your the first thing I said? That was the first thing I said. They'll have a high possibility of meeting up again. Uh, just watching that game, it was it was played at a high level of you know. Two really good teams playing. Uh, I mean, I guess it was a little different there being at that atmosphere. I mean, it was that Notre Dame, but it, it wasn't truly a sold out type of deal. But I thought the freshman quarterback played great. So mm-hmm. I don't know how much. I mean, I guess you get from the leadership quality of Trevor Lawrence not being there, just overall as a team rallying. But I thought he did great in his absence, the other quarterback. Right. Did. And, uh, and, you know, it's just a lot of things going back and forth throughout the game, yeah. different runs yeah. in there. 
but in the you know, play, he played two overtimes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. One of the things I thought that Notre Dame did a pretty good job of is is uh, stopping the running back, making him work to get some things. And he had a couple of runs there late, but they did a good job of, of uh, stopping the run. You could tell that was the game plan going in to, to really make Clemson one-dimensional as, as much as they could, you know, to stop the mm-hmm. run and force the freshman quarterback to try to beat him with stuff, in which I mean, he was doing a pretty good job of taking up that. But that was a, it looked to be the game plan going into it a lot. And, the you know, Notre Dame quarterback made a lot of good plays for them to continue drives and just find a way to make a play when they needed right. it. And then I guess the question is, if that was the game plan and they found a way to slow them down, will other people try to do the same thing? Then, of course, other people, you know, from a talent perspective, um, can they do the same thing? But interesting. It's going to be interesting. You know, it all comes down to personnel, who you have. Oh, no. Hey, a wise man once said, it's not about the X's and O's, it's the Jimmy's and Joe's. Yeah, exactly. you know as a coach, that is so true. Exactly. I can try to do what they do, but my guys can't execute the same way. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. That is true. That is true. The um, in the Big Twelve, you know, early in the season, everybody was was uh, counting Texas and Oklahoma out. Mm-hmm. And uh, and now both of them have won four or five games in a row. Texas beating West Virginia seventeen thirteen, and OU beating Kansas sixteen twenty nine. So they both lost too early, and and now they're sitting at four and two and five and two. So we'll see. In Okie State. Was the uh, they're they're the one lost team up there, and they beat Kansas State. Right. They held on to beat Kansas State twenty eighteen, and then you can't forget about Iowa State, who's sitting at uh, five and two right. as well, and they beat Baylor thirty eight thirty one. And then the the AAC once again, this is the day of the fourth quarter, and, and <laughs> Memphis had to score fourteen points in the fourth quarter to come out on top to beat U- mm-hmm. U.S. Uh, excuse me. Uh, South Florida, thirty-four to thirty-three. I mean, that's like yeah, the it's always good action in that week. conference. Yeah, it's always good action in that conference. Yep. And then Cincinnati week. beat Houston. SMU beat uh, Temple, and then you go to the Big Ten. Another big shocker: Indiana beating Michigan. Oh yeah, uh, and beating Sally, thirty-eight twenty-one. That was a big shocker there with them. But, yeah, and then the other big one was Maryland um, beating Penn State the way they did, thirty-five to nineteen. The quarterback play, I just I watched some of that, and just watching him how they play out there and compete on offense at Maryland, it just looks different now. Right, right. Before, so hey, and they always have some athletes running around there. So, but of course, once again, if you don't have a trigger guy, it's tough to be successful. Right. It's tough to be successful without a trigger guy. Um, Northwestern had a nice win. They started off well. They beat Nebraska 21-13 in a big game, which we'll talk about later, is Nebraska and Penn State this week. Um, mm-hmm. Ohio State beat Rutgers. And, you know, some of the Ohio State fans wondering, you know, why are they number one? <laughs> right. Uh, but, again, they only played three games. How can you argue yeah. they're number one? You only played three in those other People have played seven or eight. But yeah. you know they're going to argue. They have their chance. <laughs> yep, they will. They will. 
Now, Marshall is having a great year. They got a freshman quarterback that uh, that has been tearing it up, and they beat UMass 51-10. And then the, the other surprise is, is BYU. Um, yeah, they're so physical they on both sides. Yep, and they beat Just up on boys. They beat up on boys. He saw. I mean, uh, BYU is, is turning some heads as well. And then I think probably the upset of the week in the SEC, and I don't know if it's really truly an upset, is Florida beating Georgia the way they did. Just the way they yeah. beat them was surprising to me. Right. More than anything. Just the way it went about. Georgia jumped out early and then just tell them to come back and then they kind of took control of it. Yep, they did. They did. Because actually when I turned it on, when I uh, I first got home, that's when uh, Georgia had that pick six. Mm-hmm. And so I went and started watching something else and I came back and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> that game changed <laughs> dramatically. Yeah, that game changed dramatically. But Hey, sometimes that's what it is. The yeah. power of momentum in a football game is huge. Oh, definitely. Get that, get that going. And you can't yep. stop it for a while. <laughs> yep. And then uh, Texas A&M, they got everybody asking, are they the second best team in the SEC this year? Man. I mean, to put up that many points, I, mean, yeah. I don't know. They play well. Yeah, really they have. Good. They have been playing well. They have been playing well, and, and their running back is pretty good. Spiller, I had opportunity to recruit him mm-hmm. um, yeah. before before he started uh, – Texas A&M started chipping on him. That's when I was at the University yeah. of Texas San Antonio. Hey. Um, he is but, uh, doing well. Yeah, he is. And then Arkansas with their third SEC win. Uh, with the, with that the is, 24- you know, they're doing well for Coach Pittman there. Yeah, they are. You know, with a new staff, yeah. they just – Kind of jelly and just battling that that side, which is a tough division. Yeah. Before we go to break, I got to talk about two of my teams. You know, I was at Coastal Carolina last year, and, and right now uh-huh. they're sitting at eight and zero. They're playing really, really well. And uh, so, congrats to Coach Chadwell and the staff and all the players. Um, but they're ranked fifteen, they're doing great. and they're doing a great job. Doing a great yeah, job the quarterback, there. quarter of McGregor McCall, man, he's he's really playing yep. well. He's my son, he's from my same son, my high school, same school at Fort Ridge, and he's he's just doing a great job of playing under control and not playing like a freshman. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah, he's a redshirt freshman, but he's a freshman, and right, uh, and he's sort of saying, "Hey, this job is mine." And yeah. he's doing a great job with it. he's doing a great job with it. And before we go to break. I got to talk about my also undefeated 8-0 Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> the Pittsburgh Steelers. They found a way. They found a way. That they did. They found a way another week. <laughs> yep. Yep. You know, they found a way against the Titans, and now they find a way to. So, hey, when, when, when hey. it always takes a little bit of luck to win a championship, so. I'm a I'm a Tampa Bay Bucks fan and pre Brady and they found a way and we didn't. <laughs> so I was kinda of shocked by that on the other end. Yep. Hey. Well hey, well that's a good recap and uh we're gonna go to a short break and then we're gonna come back with our first guest. 
So uh, everybody just hold on tight. And we're actually going to uh, leave you with uh, a few words today. A few words talking about passion. People say you, you have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing, and it's totally true. And the reason is, uh, is because it's so hard that if you don't, any rational person would give up. And after all, if you do really like what you're doing, it doesn't matter what it is, you can eventually turn it, uh, you could eventually become a master of it. The only way to become a master of something, to be really with it. And anything you can be interested in, you'll find others who are. But it's absolutely stupid to spend your time doing things you don't like in order to go on spending things you don't like or doing things you don't like and to teach your children to follow in the same track. If you're not willing to risk, you cannot grow. And if you cannot grow, you cannot become your best. And if you cannot become your best, you can't be happy. And if you can't be happy, then what else is there? You have to harness your will to say, I'm going to challenge myself. Sometimes I have to pull myself out of bed and say, come on, Les. Things I know I should do, I don't do. Things I shouldn't do, I do. I found that the biggest enemy you have to deal with is yourself. So deciding as you look at your life, as you look into the future and say, what fears am I holding on to? What fears that I'm allowing to imprison me? keeping me from breaking out, that's keeping me from living up to my true potential, that's keeping me from really being happy, that's keeping me from having a sense of adventure and excitement in my life, what's, what's keeping me from controlling my destiny? You've got to believe in yourself. You've got to believe in your ability. You've got to believe in your service, your company, your ideas, unquestionably. You got to have faith, and that faith gives you patience. That is not going to happen as quickly as you want it to happen. Failure is a detour, not a dead end. Perseverance is the key. You can believe you deserve to win. You can feel that you determine your results. You can feel incredibly motivated and inspired, and you can practice. But unless you put in the perseverance in actual effort, all the training in the world won't help you unless you hang in there when the going gets tough. If you want a thing bad enough to go out and fight, to work day and night for, to give up your time, your peace, and your peace, if all that you dream and esteem is about, and life seems useless and worthless without it, and if you gladly sweat for it and fret for it and plan for it, and lose all your terror of the opposition for it, and if you simply go after this thing that you want with all of your capacity, strength and sagacity, faith, hope, and confidence, and stern pertinacity, if neither cold poverty, famish, and dull, sickness, and pain of body and brain can keep you away from the thing that you want, if dogged and grim you besiege and beset it with the help of God you will. Hey, this is Everett Sands with the West Foundation Sports Talk Show. I'm back, and we have our first guest with us, Mr. Donald Thompson, Jr. He is a guy that's a CEO, um, a diversity, equity, and inclusion champion. He's a board member. He's a keynote speaker. He's an author. And 
not only that, not a military brat, but a coach's brat. So <laughs> what I mean by that is his dad was a college coach, where so he moved around a little bit. So, Donald, how you doing? Welcome. Hey, I'm doing doing really well, and thank you so much for having me uh, on your show. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to it. Hey, man, we definitely appreciate you joining us. Now, as I said, your dad was a, was a coach. Tell us a little bit about the, some of the places you've been and, and how that sort of affected you. Yeah, so, you know, being the son of a football coach has a lot of advantages and, and some ups and downs with it. And so, you know, I spent time in Connecticut and, and uh, when he was at UConn. I uh, spent time in, in Pittsburgh when he coached at Pitt. And, and my childhood idol, uh, Dan Marino, uh, was the quarterback of the Pitt Panthers when we were there. And I got to be a ball boy and got to know a lot of the players well. So that was one of the right. great things about that experience. I uh, spent some time in North Carolina, uh, and uh, my dad spent some time in Illinois uh, as well. And so moved around in, in Kentucky. And, you know, there's sometimes it gets so many you, you don't remember. But what affected mm-hmm. me the most in a positive way is I learned how to make friends quickly. I learned how to adapt to new situations quickly. And while it was interesting growing up because you make friends, then you've got to move, you've got to reacclimate. As a business person and as an adult, I look back on those experiences, and it helped me understand how to find common ground with people in new situations quickly. And that's, nice. that's helped me a lot in business. Nice, which that is very important uh, because if you can adapt quickly, you can move a lot quicker than some of the bigger firms and, and some of the other people. So that is huge. That is definitely huge. So what are you doing now? So a couple things. So right now I'm very fortunate. Uh, I'm the CEO of a firm called Walk West. We're a digital marketing firm. So quite frankly, if you have anything from website to social media to video to PR, anything that communicates the message of your brand, uh, mm-hmm. that's what we do. And in 2015, I invested in the firm. It was a couple hundred thousand dollars in revenue. And now fast forward to 2020. This is our third year, 2018, 2019, and 2020. Uh, being on the Inc. 5000, and so we're very, very proud of that. Uh, I'm also I'm also the founder of a new firm that we're spinning out called the Diversity Movement, and that is where we do diversity, equity, and inclusion programming for companies of all sizes. So a lot of times companies want to understand how to have a more productive culture, but they don't know how to get started. They don't have the tools. So we provide e-learning, we provide uh, information portals so that the managers and leaders of these companies can understand how to be more relatable to people that might not look like them, talk like them, uh, have a life experience like them, but that everybody can be productive together if we work at it. Now, let me ask this, just talk about diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion. The Does having an African-American is, is the vice president now. Does that help with that, uh, or does that bring that we need to address that more, or, or how does that affect what you're doing? Yeah, so I appreciate the question very much. You know, imagery matters, and people cannot become what they cannot see an example of. And so for women, from a gender standpoint, seeing a vice president that will be Uh, a clear seat at the table of power in this next administration, an African-American woman 
a person of um, Indian descent, so basically a biracial, multicultural leader, allows us to have the imagery for young ladies that will come behind that there is no limit to what they can accomplish. And so imagery is really important. I'll equate it to sports. I'll equate it to business. But if you think about it, the first African-American quarterback in the Super Bowl that I remember, right, that I could resonate with was when I saw Doug Williams uh, mm-hmm. as a part of the Washington, the, the, the Washington Redskins at the time and now the, you know, the, the Washington football team. Um, and that imagery allowed me to see myself in that situation, that imagery of seeing Tony Dungy and uh, the Indianapolis Colts in the Super Bowl and Lovey Smith in the Super Bowl gave me that imagery that mm-hmm. we could be leaders in sport, in politics, in business. And so to answer your question, I think it's very important for people to be able to see someone of African-American descent that is in a, in a position of authority and power and recognition uh, at a seat at the table. And that's going to inspire young people all across the world. It's very important. Nice. Now, I don't know. Great sports question. You said that Doug was the first one that you remember. Was there one before Doug? Well, that's why I said the one that I remember, because I actually okay. wasn't sure. I, I think that Doug Williams was, was first. But, but I, okay. I use my words carefully because I, I just I couldn't remember if there was right, one before. Right. But I think Doug Williams was the first African-American quarterback in the Super Bowl and to win and get MVP and all that good stuff. And, and I remember that changing kind of my perspective, right, on what was possible. Right. Okay. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. The, um, now, in one of the things that we see with all the things that have happened this year is that diversity and inclusion has become such a major topic. Um, one of the things that I believe that the fastest way to equality is to help close that economic gap. And I think the only way you can close the economic gap is if you, as you said, have more African-Americans um, or people of color in higher positions. How can we make that happen? Is it just the diversity training or, or how can we get people that are qualified? We're not asking for anybody to be unqualified, but how can those qualified people get themselves in a position to get those better jobs? Yeah, there's a couple things that, that are really important. And, and I think one of the things that we're doing with the diversity movement as we work with CEOs is we're not talking about quotas and we're not talking about hiring people that are not qualified. But what we do teach is that you shouldn't make a strategic hire until you've had a multicultural interview process. How do you know you've selected the best people if you've not talked to a certain segment in your community. And so we encourage opening up the recruiting such that you talk to more candidates from a diverse background. So that's number one. The second thing that I think is really important as we think about educating young people, I think it's important that we teach and encourage those of us that have had levels of success that we go back into the universities and the education system 
to be that example of what is possible for the next young people that are coming forward so that their hopes and dreams and aspirations see themselves in the C-suite, see themselves as managers and leaders, not just your typical staff roles, uh, which are fine, but we want them to dream bigger. And then the third thing, and you were very, very astute in the way you asked the question, that economic development, right? We need to create and teach and encourage entrepreneurship with people of color because, you know, one of the things that's been really positive for me is that once I learned the process of starting a business from scratch and how to get to that first million dollars in revenue, how to build a team, I started to give myself a certain level of freedom that was not dependent on anyone else because as an entrepreneur, I knew how to start something from scratch and build it into something significant. So I think right. teaching people within the uh, multicultural uh, career, you know, career path that entrepreneurship matters so that you can build and grow something of your own, I think is equally as important as teaching people to be successful in the corporate America. Nice, nice. And that's something I think we've definitely got to do. You know, one of the things that I'm a big proponent of with the West Foundation is just talking about financial literacy. I think that is so important and uh, I think can definitely change the scope of, of people's lives. So we definitely got to make sure we do that. Now, another thing that you are constantly uh, working as well is leadership. Um, let's talk a little bit about leadership and, and how we can develop better leaders. Yeah, I think that, you know, one of the things that sports has helped me both as, an, as a former athlete and also watching my, my father's career and people that, that he's worked with is that there are certain leadership characteristics that are similar across athletics, politics, industry. And one of those things is are you worthy of being followed? Right? Are you a person of integrity? Are you a person of your word? Do you have a work ethic to where you're going to be the example of the commitment that you want into the organization? And do you promote and recognize people within your team that do outstanding work? There are some leaders that are all about the personal limelight. The greatest leaders are those that lift people up. For example, I'm very proud of the fact that six people that have worked for me over the years are now CEOs of their own company and doing nice. extremely well business-wise financially. That makes me feel good, not that I did the work. I did a little bit. I opened a door for them. I mentored them, and they took the ball and took it to the next level. But it makes me feel empowered that I was able to cultivate and grow another batch of leaders. So I think that one of the characteristics of leadership is how many leaders do you create? How many right. leadership opportunities do you create for other people? It's huge. It's huge. Huge, huge, huge. And so how, how best can we, I mean, we, we talked about, you know, the integrity part of it, are you worthy of being followed, the work ethic, um, do you promote others, but how best can we develop those skills? Um, my, of course, it's definitely a, a good way of doing that. But Yeah, one of the things to remember, um, Everett, and is people listen to winners. And so I think it's important when people are in their first and second job coming out of college or uh, coming out of community college or trade school, whatever that first job is, be excellent at that job. 
right? Be the, be the best you can be in the moment that you're in while you plan for the future goals and dreams that you have. So one of the things about leadership development is your personal productivity. If you can't lead yourself, how can you lead others? If you can't work independently, right, how can you be responsible for the work of, of 10 other people, 100 other people, 1,000 other people, 100,000 people? And so I think that it is very important that people model their own success characteristics in the work they personally do, and then they will grow in that ability to be responsible for others is number one. The second thing that I think is, is really important in terms of developing leaders is we have to create those opportunities while people are young of what they expect out of their career, right? And so I've heard more than once counselors in school not giving people the opportunity and the goal and the dream of going to college and getting that master's degree or getting that Ph.D., or getting that entrepreneurship and telling people, you know what, I, I, I think that this lane is all that you can achieve. The worst thing you can do to somebody's dream is to limit their potential based on your experience, not based right. on their heart and effort, right? And so I think that we have a responsibility uh, to, to continue to encourage people but have a high expectation of what people can accomplish. I'll give an example. A friend of mine, Grant Willard, uh, my mentor, the biggest thing that he gave me in business in 1996 when I started to work for him as a sales rep in a tech company is that he had high expectations of my performance every day. And because he had high expectations of my performance, he wouldn't accept mediocrity. Because he wouldn't accept mediocrity, I had to bring my A game every day. And when it was time for me to be promoted, I was ready. When the opportunity right. presented itself, I was, I was ready because I, I was used to achieving and chasing a very high standard. Nice. That is good. The, and that's one of those where sometimes people feel like they always bother me where they actually just demanding excellence. Exactly right. And I think about my father and, you know, the blessing with my mom and dad is that, you know, they, they taught me to believe that I could achieve anything that I could dream of if I was willing to do the work and get the training. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people think I can achieve anything that I dream about. My parents were very prescriptive. As long as you're willing to do the work, you can have anything that you're willing to have, that you want, right? And exactly. I think a lot of times uh, people forget the work part. And, yep. um, and, that, and that's something that I, that I learned at an early age. And, and also, you know, self-image has a lot to do with how successful you can become. And there's just something that feels good about giving your best effort, right? Even mm-hmm. if sometimes you don't succeed, if you leave it all out there, you don't yep. have regrets on the field of sports, you don't have regrets in the field of life, um, because you gave everything you knew to do. And I think that's yeah. something that uh, I'm, I'm very glad that was instilled in me uh, at a very young age. And, you know, that's one of the things that, as a coach, I want guys that want to play on the next level. Because yeah. if you want to play the next level, I can expect you to do the things that's going to take to get there. So that's right. that next level of work ethic is what I expect. That discipline is what I expect. And when I don't, when I don't get it, then, okay, hey, I'm going to push, keep pushing. If that's what you want, this is what's going to take to get there. And I think one of the beautiful things is that work ethic, 
once they finish that sport, will carry over into their work into the work world. That's exactly right. I don't have anything to add to that, my friend. I think it's it's uh, in life there are winners, and winners talk different, they work different, and they expect different results. And there's a lot of people walking around talking about demanding respect, entitled with this, but success has to be taken. And there is a mindset that, that winners have. And what we want is an opportunity. We don't want a gift. We want a door that's open. And even if you open that door for me, a crack. Mm-hmm. If you let I'm me in way. that door, I'm, I'm going to find a way to succeed. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's great. That is great. And that is so true. That is so true. Now, the um, I, I know you're an author as well. What was your book about? What's the name of your book? Where can we find your book? So you can go to DonaldThompson.com, and on the, the website, there's a book around diversity and inclusion in the workplace, and then there's also uh, a book on delegation that is, that is good for leaders that really talks about uh, how do you empower others uh, to build and, and grow. And so those are the two okay. books that are, that are out. And then uh, early in the year, uh, I will have um, a book that is titled Underestimated, uh, the journey of an African American CEO, and that'll be coming out uh, early in 2021. Okay, nice, nice. The uh, now I've been I, it, working on a book for about six or seven years, and even going to get it done. But uh, I guess uh, sometimes you just got to go in and put yourself down and make yourself get that writing in, don't you? It's you know we get so busy that sometimes we shortchange ourselves with not slowing down to reflect. And for me, uh, like you, uh, I've been working on my latest book project for a couple of years, but I have three goals. One, I wanted to create a legacy document for my kids that just talked about my career and my life and my perspective and the people that have helped me. The second thing is that I want to be an inspiration to people that, maybe don't have the appropriate pedigree in business, but you still have that big dream and that right. inspiration that you can, that you can make it to. And then the third piece is I think that, you know, being an example as a CEO and leader, I think it's important for the diversity movement that we're working on for companies to know that there are qualified African-Americans out there, people of color out there to serve on boards, to serve in CEO roles, and my goal is to, to shed the lime, limelight on, on people that are ready for their next level assignment. All right. All right. Well, that's nice. That's good. The, um, which my book, the first one that I'm, that I'm working on is, is actually about dating as mighty men. And mm. just talk about the importance of having, you know, your support group that will do whatever they need to do to help you be successful. And at the same time, you're doing what you need to do to help them be successful. Um, so it's it's definitely around success. It's, it's based in the Bible, but it, it is definitely a, a life lesson as well. That's awesome. It's most, sounds like a lot of what you're doing is, is helping people, other people be successful. And I heard a guy say once that if you help enough people be successful, you will find success. Amen. I agree with that uh, wholeheartedly, and I think that being a giver 
creates a certain level of humility. It doesn't mean you don't have personal goals and aspirations. It just mm-hmm. means that you know the way to get there and pave that road for you and others is being a servant leader and being helpful. And right. money and accolades and recognition are typically derived from how many people you helped. And so I, I want to try to continue on my journey, right, to be helpful and to use the skills that I have to be a blessing to other people. Exactly. Exactly. Outstanding. Now, one thing before I get to my advice question for you. Um, I know you haven't been because it's been shut down, but I remember we used to get after it and you used to tear my butt up on the racquetball court. <laughs> um, uh, now, you still – once this pandemic is over, you still going to get back in there and play or, or, or sort of have you sort of, Oh man, I, down from I, tell you, I, I love the sport of racquetball. It is fast. It is smack talk heavy. It is competitive and all the things that I miss, uh, and, and a great stress reliever. So the answer is a hundred percent. Yes. When this, uh, pandemic lifts, uh, I had, I had worked my way back up to 27th in the state and uh, was nice. getting ready for a pretty big big tournament, and then COVID hit and shut everything mm-hmm. down. And so thanks for asking. It's something that, that I've been playing racquetball. The thing about it is on college campuses, there are certain things you can do on literally every college campus in America, bowling mm-hmm. and racquetball, right? <laughs> so no matter where my dad went, there was always racquetball courts, and they were usually near the football stadium. So if I was mm-hmm. going to go hang out with my dad or different things, I had to find other stuff to do, right? I only wanted to watch so much football even growing up. And so exactly. I always gravitated to just hitting the ball around the racquetball court and, and learn the game over the years. But, yeah, thanks for asking. It's a, it's a great sport. It's fast and a great stress reliever, and, and I miss playing. I can't wait to get back oh, on yeah. court. I do as well. So now once we get back rolling, I just know I'm coming for you. <laughs> hey, listen. <laughs> hey, listen. I am available. You know my number. <laughs> Don't be a stranger. <laughs> Don't hey, be before a stranger. we go, before before we go, um, I always I like to ask this question: um, What piece of advice uh, would you give a young student athlete, whether they're in high school or in college, um, that wants to get to the next level? a great question. A uh, couple, couple things. And so I'm going to answer it on the field and off the field. Your ability to succeed is not just going to be your pure talent. There's a lot of talented people in this world, in business and sports. Your ability to succeed is on how you prosper in moments through adversity and how you're able to calm yourself and play big in the big moments. But in order to do that, you have to make the little moments when you're training alone, when you're working on your diet, your nutrition, when you're watching film. It is those moments of quiet work that you have to be a champion so that you can be a superstar when the lights come on. And that applies to football. That applies to business. That applies to life. And a lot of people are very, very focused on game day, but your performance on game day is just going to be indicative of all the work you've done behind the scenes. 
And then the second thing that I would say is that being a, a student athlete, being an athlete, being uh, excellent at anything that you do, it's about perseverance. Most people can succeed for a little while. It's the great ones that can be successful even on their worst day. How do you play when you have a stomach ache? How do you play when your ankle's a little tweaked? How do you play when you have a fight with your girlfriend? How do you play when things don't go your way? Are you still working at a championship level no matter what? That's the difference maker for people that win on the field and off the field is how you play under duress. Nice. Nice. That's great words. Great words. Well, Donald, I definitely appreciate you joining us tonight. And uh, sometime, hopefully, uh, maybe after your book comes out, we can try to get you back on again. All right, my friend. Thanks for having me. I'm humbled and honored. If I can be a blessing in any way, please let me know. All right. Sounds like a plan. Hey, we're going to go to a quick break, and we'll be back in a few moments. Yeah, yeah, it is. She called me by surprise, I must say, cause I never have seen such a pretty face with such a warm and beautiful smile. It wasn't hard for me to notice her style. I was fascinated, surely. She took my heart and held it for me. I wouldn't let her get away, not until she heard me.
Hello, how's everybody doing? This is Everett Sands with West Foundation Sports Talk Show. We're back. Uh, we just got finished talking to Donald Thompson, and now I have two young men here. We got uh, Michael Willett and Tristan Reeves, also known as Walk On Nation. Mike, Tristan, how's everything going? Going great, man. Going great. Thanks for having us. Hey, man. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you all for joining us. I know that, uh, well, just a little history. I did have opportunity to recruit Tristan and uh, when I was at University of South Carolina, and he ended up in Central Florida, so I didn't get him. Um, but you all both went there um, as walk-ons and earned scholarships there. Uh, tell us a little bit about your about your stories. Uh, I'll go first. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> Thanks, Tristan. Like you said, uh, we, we were both able to uh, – walk on to UCF to play football there and you know, over our over the course of our careers earned our scholarships which was awesome um, but it, it was it was unique um, we had many well, at least for me I had three different coaches and you know Mike had two different coaches and um, but the guys that may, remained the same so it was interesting to see how when the new coaching staffs came in how the culture shifted uh, whether it was in the good or bad direction it was um I feel like it really prepared me and Mike for life outside of sports, just being able to be exposed to many different types of leadership, uh, being able to adapt to a lot of different types of adversity, things like that. So um, definitely a unique experience. Yeah. Um, to piggyback off what Tristan said, um, being a walk-on definitely taught us what the real world is like in an early age. Because being a walk-on, you don't have the scholarship money. You don't have everything paid for. You have to grind and work for what you want. You have to earn everything and take everything you want. And being a walk-on gave us a lot of real-world experiences. Like Tristan said, we got blessed and got our scholarships through our grind and effort that we put through the team. But we definitely learned a lot through the grind at UCF, going through different coaches, learning how to read people all that different stuff you learned. Those are real world experiences that you, we wouldn't trade for the world. So we learned a lot through our experiences in college. Well, good, good. And oftentimes, um, you know, after spending a lot of time coaching and let me know if you all went this route as well. I believe one of the quickest ways on the field as a freshman, whether you're a walk-on or a scholarship player is through special teams. Is that how sure. you got your first pick? Yes, sir. 100%. Yes, it was. That's how we got paid. Well, good. Yeah. So, so what aspect of special teams uh, was was? Uh, we start with Mike. Mike, what was your deal with special teams? What what aspect of? It? So I did everything on special teams. It was being a freshman, especially being a walk on the upperclassmen, the guys your starters always tell you to calm it down during the show team reps and all that, but. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get paid, and I knew for the way the coach to look at me, I had to show up on film with special teams. Wasn't getting exactly. reps at an <clears> offense. <throat> just was That's not how the game goes. I know for me to get on film, I had to show up on special teams. So every time I got a chance, I was going 100%. Whether it was wrong or right, I was making sure I showed up on film. And that's what every single special teams I gave it my all. And I ended up getting noticed by Coach Leary and got was a starter in a couple weeks. So that was how I got on. For me, right. right. Uh, for me, it was very, very similar. Yeah, for me, it was very similar. Uh, anywhere I could get on the field, 
uh, with special teams I did. So all four components of that I was participating in. And um, like Mike said, the, the days in practice where we had, you know, punt rush or kickoff mm-hmm. or whatever, those were game days for me because that's when yeah. I had permission to really do anything I could because when we were doing – you know, walkthroughs or just going through the script for offensive practice, I'm not going to get maybe but two or three reps the whole practice. Mm-hmm. But on, on special teams, on scout team, you're going to have, you know, five, six, seven, depending on how many different teams we're doing that day, you're going to have a lot of more reps. Um, mm-hmm. So I look forward to that. Of, I'm going to go block the punt today three times, or I'm going to be the first one down on the field every single time. And the goal was to be noticed by Coach O'Leary because we would always – he was big on special teams. So every day we would watch the film and you would find your number, whatever jersey number we were, you know, mimicking. And he would always be like, oh, who's 27 or who's 84 what whatever number me and Mike were wearing. We always seemed to keep coming up. And that's that's when, you know, the scholarships come. That's when we get a chance to go mm-hmm. on the travel team, and, you know. Right. So. Yep. Because here's here's the, here's the truth. If you start on three, definitely if you start on four, you're considered a starter. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's so it's if you start on special teams, you're gonna be a starter. Bottom line, and they're gonna find room for you on the the special teams coordinator is gonna find room for you on the bus if you showing up on three or four special teams. I promise you that. Yeah, Sorry, that's the truth. That the is the truth. We had a rule on the team like if you're if you're on the two deep and you're starting on, on special teams and then there's someone who's like, let's say receiver, cause I played receiver, someone who is a backup receiver, but on no special mm-hmm. teams, I'm getting that spot on the bus and not him because I can add more value to the team during game day. So that was, that was the game, you know, me and Mike right. and our other fellow walk-ons trying to figure out how many, how many spots can I get on special teams? Cause that's how we try. That's how we get exactly. to play on game day. That's how we get paid. Yep, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. So now you all went from walk-ons to scholarship players, so you graduated, and you started Walk-On Nation. Now, now tell me a little bit about Walk-On Nation. What what brought that about? What are you all doing um, as far as what's your goals with that? And where all have you all been? I know you all have been to some different colleges. Tell me a little bit about that. So, yeah, so, brief so history. Go ahead, Mike. I got it. So the journey with Walk On Nation it all started out with me and Tristan interning at the UCF Student Athlete Welfare Development Office. During our time playing football, we always knew we had something more we wanted to offer to the world besides being that athlete. So through our process there, we started realizing that we really like to do this. But at the same time, we were noticing a lot of our guys weren't showing up to the things that we were offering the programs, whether that be networking, resume building, all these things, we were wondering why these guys weren't showing up. So I decided, well, why don't we do this? I talked to Tristan, Tristan, my roommate at the time, said, why don't we put together our own curriculum and help our guys prosper in life when they're out of sport? Because a lot of times with athletes, you're in and you're out. And once you're out, you're lost. And me and Tristan almost got caught up in that situation with career-ending injuries that happened out of nowhere. I had a career-ending injury. Tristan had a career-ending injury. But thankfully, we had Walk on Nation on the back burner. We were already creating it. So we were okay. But our other teammates, in a sense, aren't okay in that situation. They're not prepared for that. So 
So we said, let's create our curriculum. A walk-on nation all stems from that welcome mentality that we just discussed earlier, getting on special teams, make sure we get a spot on the bus. It's all about earning what you want and being successful in life. Walk-on nation is all about athletic identity redefined. Redefine what it means to be an athlete and don't be put in a box. Our mantra is be enhanced, not defined by athletic status, and we truly live by that. And throughout everything we do, that's what Walk on Nation focuses on. Make sure athlete is enhanced, not defined by their status, and they will be able to succeed in the real world in college. I'll let Tristan add on whatever he wants to add on with that. I think you did a pretty great job of uh, summarizing that. Our, our mission is just to empower student athletes, whether they're youth, high school, collegiate, just to empower them, use their voice, use their abilities to define what their identity is, to define and show what their value is outside of their sport. We all know right. how important sports are, but just because that's what we do, that's our occupation, that's not who we are. So we, we serve as a reminder that an empowerment tool for them uh, to move to move forward in that. Our mission, like I said, is to empower them, but to be the voice for student athletes. You know, mm-hmm. as, as you know, coach, on a football team, Division One football team, there's over a hundred kids on that team. Right. And there's a hierarchy. There's a hierarchy in everything, whether that's who gets to eat first or who gets to talk when and for how long. We're trying to redefine that narrative because that. That may be what's going on on that team, but that doesn't mean it has to translate into the real world. You have value. Now let's, exactly. let's demonstrate it. Nice, nice. Now you all uh, got some contracts with some different schools. Where all have you all been since you all got started? Uh, we've had the, the great pleasure of being – we spoke at a conference at NC State. We've been to – uh, Texas Tech University. We've been to uh, Amherst, which is uh, up in the Northeast, as well as a handful of different high schools. And uh, very cool opportunity. Earlier this year in January, we were we were selected to speak at the Black Student Athlete Summit, which is a national conference in uh, Austin, Texas, which was just a, an amazing experience. Um, nice. And then, you know, as the year went on, we had other things lined up, and then of course uh, COVID. Uh, shut that down temporarily, so we, we pivoted to more online virtual things. So, what are y'all doing online? So, actually, online, we just are officially launching our subscription package with a company called LRT Sports. What they do is they focus on recruiting and rating the coach. So, college athletes get to rate their coaches of basically how they were, how they treated them, all that stuff. This website holds the ratings of the coaches and they handle recruiting. We partnered with them, and now we're bringing the holistic aspect and the identity aspect that includes recruiting and finding the identity. So we're doing a bunch of workshops. We have videos on there, worksheets. All this stuff is going to be on LRTSports.com. There will be a full-ride package where it's Walk on Nation LRT truly investing in athletes and helping them be the best version of themselves on and off the field. All right, now, let me, I saw something that you all had, and I want you to just go in depth in it a little bit. The superhero um, syndrome. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I'll, I'll take this one. So 
what the superhero syndrome is is a lot of athletes, if not all athletes, face. So, being an athlete, you feel like you have to be the breadwinner of the family, especially coming out of low income communities. That if I don't make it, no one makes it. And with this attitude of feeling like I have to put this cape on and be Superman, that I have to carry all the burden. If I don't make it, no one makes it attitude. You're in a sense hurting yourself and everyone around you. You can't save the world if you cannot save yourself. So when we talk about superhero syndrome, we're talking to athletes, letting them know it's okay not to be okay. Everyone has emotions. Suppressing your emotions at the end of the day is worse than showing your sadness, showing your anger, showing your depression. When you try to be the superhero and hold this moniker of I'm okay all the time, behind closed doors, you're breaking yourself down. And at the end of the day, you're an empty vessel and you're pouring from an empty cup. I'll let Tristan dive in more on what pouring from an empty cup means, but that's what we talk about in the superhero syndrome. Yeah, thank you, Mike. And with that, you know, pouring from an empty cup, as a student athlete, uh, especially as you progress in collegiate to the collegiate level, there, you have a lot going on. You're getting pulled in a lot of different directions. You know, your, your time and energy is very valuable. You know, you're pouring it into practice, of course. You have film study or, you know, uh, weightlifting or strength training a couple times a day. Sometimes you have your study hall. Of course, you have your classes. And that's just the sports side of it and, or the school side of it, too. Like, the, you have relationships, whether they're on campus or back at home, whether it's, you know, your parents or significant other, your friends. You're trying to maintain a lot of different things at once. Uh, what happens is you keep pouring into all these different things and you neglect yourself because you're trying mm-hmm. to, whether it's pleasing others or meeting these deadlines. And as a result of this, this feeling of trying to be Superman and take care of everything, sometimes we set super unrealistic goals for ourselves. So when we don't reach them, we take it very hard, as if, like, for right. a failure, we didn't, we didn't become what we were supposed to. Like, we let not just myself down, I let my, my mom down, I let my family down, I let my team down, I let, you know, but no one knows you're struggling with this except you. So, just showing them these these feelings you're feeling is is okay and it's completely normal. This is how we can mm-hmm. navigate this. This is how we can move forward in this. And you know, one of those things we talk about superhero syndrome in many of our workshops. But you know, it starts with identity. Like, who are you? Not what you do, but who are you? And let's right. let's talk about it. Let's have a real discussion of who you are. If if you if I ask you a question. Who are, who are you? And the first thing you say is, I'm Tristan, I'm a football player. We know mm-hmm. we're in trouble because, like, that's you're mistaking your identity for your occupation and what others see you as. That's already the narrative. So, how can we, how can we shift this? You know, and, like, student athletes, they're, they're, they're so talented. There's so many different components to us, but we don't mm-hmm. always realize it because, you know, we're told our whole life that you're a football player, you're a basketball player, you're going to do this, you're going to go to the league. And do that, and you may as well do that. That's great, but even that at some point is going to end. So, what else can you? What else? What else are you? Mm-hmm. And I think that there's some athletes that get opportunity to play for ten plus years in the league, and when they get out, it's kind of like, okay, what do I do now? Yeah, I mean, exactly. seriously, it's almost it's almost like um, you're institutionalized to the sport. 
You know, you get mm-hmm. so used to the life of being a student athlete or just a pro athlete that once you're out of it, you don't know how to function as a regular person in society. Right. Because right. now, cause now, you know, your, your identity is gone and a lot of your values. I mean, every, I mean, coach, every team you've been a part of has had those team values, whether it's, you know, faith, family, football, or academics, sports, and, you know, whatever it is. And those are great values. But when you're no longer in that, in that paradigm, you're no longer in that environment. Now, now your identity is gone. And now your, your values, what you stand for are gone too. So now what, like now really what's going to happen. So talking to these kids and redefining their identity in your mind, what should that identity look more like? Or what should that answer be when you ask, who are you? Well, I think the, the, the complex thing with that is it, it's different. My identity is different than Mike's, different than yours, Coach. Mm-hmm. It's different than, you know, my other teammates. Um, but how we, how we quantify this, we use a tool called the Athletic Identity Measurement Scale. And it goes from zero to 70. There's a series of statements that we present to the student athlete. Um, like, for example, like, I, I get upset when I don't accomplish my athletic goals or something like that, right? And you grade it from one or zero to seven. You go through all these statements, you add them up, and your composite score is where your identity lies. So zero being non-athlete whatsoever and 70 being full identity in being a student athlete. So ideally, you want to be somewhere in the middle. You want obviously you want to have some score in there because if you didn't, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't have any love or passion for the sport. You probably shouldn't be playing it. But if you're too high, and like we've just been talking about, your whole identity is that sport, and once that's gone, your identity is gone as well. So having a, a healthy balance, and again, that's different for everybody on, on where they stand in that. So I guess thirty would be most. Five, but I imagine not many were at the five. From what, what we found with our the, all the places we've been, and it's interesting too. We've been to high-level Division One schools, uh, more academic-based Division Three schools, high schools, you name it. A lot of their scores are very similar. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but probably about 95% of our scores are 50 and higher. Probably like fifty-five and higher, actually. So it's uh, right, you know. And it, it's not so much. I mean, they don't know what they don't know. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of times when we have these conversations in our sessions with them, the questions we ask, the discussions we have, it's the very first time being asked that or having that kind of discussion. You know, right. so moving forward from there, from there, their score tend to either drop down or raise up a little bit depending on, you know, where they stand. Um, and neither, either way, it's not good or bad or indifferent. It's just affording the time to have that conversation with them, hearing from all of the, all the student athletes and, and working through it together. Right. Okay. Now, the, one of the things we actually had our come um, the plan was to come speak about social media. Now, why is social media important? How can that affect the semester? So, <clears throat> social media is so important, especially with the athlete now, because it can make or break you in a matter of seconds, especially with 
you're a coach. You know how recruiting goes. If a student athlete posts the wrong thing that shows something very bad about their character, you can lose a scholarship right there. You can lose interest off one tweet, one post. Also, athletes don't realize when it comes to apps like Twitter, what you retweet, you might not have said it, but since you retweet it, that means you agree with it and you're claiming that. So athletes have to be careful in terms of social media because at the drop of a dime, your career could be over, especially as a student athlete. There is a microscopic lens on us. The media and the culture is circled around us. Whatever we do, we get criticized or glorified for it tenfold. So we have to be strategic and diligent in how we approach social media. Everyone does need to know your feelings. Everyone does need to know where you stand on certain things. The thing that we tell our student athletes when we speak with them is show them another side of you outside of being an athlete. So if that's community service, post something about community service. If that's other talents, whether that be drawing, drawing, you're a poet. There's so many things you can post on social media that can change the narrative because a lot of things we also talk about is culture. And being a student athlete, the culture can dictate who you identify yourself as. If all you show is an athlete, people are only going to look at you as an athlete. So we have them use social media to show them what they want the world to see, not the world molding them to what they think they should look like. That's some things we talk about when it comes to social media, how important it is of shaping a student athlete. Yeah. Social media, it can, it can be your worst nightmare or it can be your greatest tool to getting recruited. You know, I, Partially, sometimes I, I wish social media was such a big deal when I was in high school because I came from a very small high school in a very small town. No one really knew about me. I had to itch and claw for every opportunity I got. Had mm-hmm. Twitter and Instagram and you know TikTok and all these different platforms been as potent as they are now back in 2013, 2014, I may be in a very different spot because mm-hmm. I, I was marking myself a whole uh, – lot better and in, in a whole different way versus just, you know, copy and pasting my huddle link to emails, hoping coaches would see it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, that's definitely changed over the years and it's definitely changed that as well. It's, it's, uh, it's, you are just recruiting too, so what about the recruiting? You're breaking up a little bit, Coach. I didn't catch that. Yeah, you're breaking up. Oh, I said that uh, you mentioned you touch on recruiting as well. What do you all do with recruiting? So most of the recruiting that we, we do, like like Mike mentioned before, alluded to, we, have, we made a, a partnership with a company called LRT Sports. So they provide um, tips, tactics, insights, on the different recruiting strategies and to how, like little things like what what to look for on your official visit or um, questions to ask your coach and academic advisors when you're doing this or how to navigate through this. What is a dead period? What is this? So that company highlights the important parts of the recruiting process for the student athlete. They break it down and make it simple for them. So that's where we lean on them to bridge that gap, and then they lean on us to um, – come with the development aspect of it. So putting us two together is a very um, 
uh, comprehensive and, and effective way to get to the next level because you have a better understanding not just of yourself but of the game you, you have to play to get there. Right, right. Okay. Well, as we get ready to wrap up, i got a question for you. Um, what advice would you all give to ask if they prepare to try to get to the next level? There's plenty of ways you can go with that, but for me, what I would say is understand who you are and know who you are before the world molds you to make to what you they want you to be. So, like we always focus on identity, realize who you are as a person, understand what you like, what you don't like, your talents, your hobbies, understand that before you go to the next level. Because the higher you get, the more eyes are on you, the more the culture shapes you as just being an athlete. But if you know who you are outside of that, you won't let the world dictate your future and dictate who you are. So if you're going to the next level, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some soul searching. But start figuring out who you are as a person outside of being an athlete because the college world in that sense or the higher level professional world will be easier because you're not putting all your eggs into that one basket. Right. Mine would be very similar to what Mike said. It would be understand your value. Your, your value is not predicated on how many offers you get or how many letters you get or who's what coaches come to your school or not. Like, that's all great and well. But I've seen too many. It happened to me. I struggle with it a lot. And I've seen it happen to mm-hmm. too many athletes where – they get so hung up on what offers they're getting or who else is getting the offers or what's happening with recruiting or what school it is that they, they lose themselves in it. They, they lose, they don't understand the, the value that they are as a human being. They just view, view themselves as a, you know, as a commodity, as a, as a product for these, for these schools. So I would say to know your value and don't sell yourself short. Great words. I appreciate that. And when I next time I come down to Orlando, I gotta come and and maybe work out with y'all, see what kind of training y'all doing, and then also have some more conversation about about the athletic uh, identity redefines. That is definitely something that I think part one, and hopefully we can partner with you here in the foundation. I appreciate y'all coming on, and I hope we can get back on the point. Thank you, Pat. Yes, sir. Well, hey, we are getting ready to go to a break and back in a few minutes. Yo, devil, you violated. Uh, you violated. You about to get dealt with. About to get dealt with. Uh, uh.
Talk show, and we are excited to have uh, another great guest on, uh, Mr. Tory Davis. Tory, how's everything going? Everything's going great. How's it going for you? Everything's going pretty good, man. It's going pretty good. It's Tuesday. We live on the air. My Steelers won last past weekend. I mean, hey, it's it's, it's a good day. <laughs> the uh, now, Tori, um, 
mind? Just tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you're pursuing I, a, a doctorate right now, but just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Well, um, everyone out there, hello, everyone out there in Radio Land. I'm Tori Davis. Uh, I'm in Aiken, South Carolina. I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina, which is where I, I met Coach Sands. Um, I'm glad to be a part of this discussion and really speak on uh, sports psychology. A little bit about myself. I'm an ex-athlete. Uh, I love the game of basketball. I know Coach Sands, you, you love the pigskin, um, but I love the mm-hmm. game of basketball. Um, but also bowling, running, drawing, repurposing furniture, anything art-related. Um, I love anything adventurous as well, hiking, zip lining, anything along those lines. Being active is, is exciting and fun for me. Um, I've worked nationally and internationally serving the field of psychology from various capacities, uh, from working inside the organization to mental health and mental wellness, uh, from a user experience for technology applications supporting mental health and mental wellness, and, of course, uh, sports psychology. And as you just mentioned, I am uh, currently pursuing a doctorate in psychology at uh, Grand Canyon University. And additionally, I'm working with the Mental Wellness Society on framing the thought process around what it means to be mentally well. Um, And I'm working on that with uh, Dr. Abram, who's out of Israel. Okay. Now, you just touched on it a couple of times, and you said mental health and mental wellness. What is the difference between the two? So when you focus on health or mental health, you're looking at what's considered a state of being or existing. Uh, So in other words, health revolves around your biological and physiological aspects. Uh, That's of any person, athlete, artist, whoever you are, just a person in general. Um, Your health revolves around your biological and physiological signs. So that's chemical imbalances. That could be insulin-resistant cancer, the common cold, the flu, uh, what we have going on right now with COVID. And for athletes, that can be anything centered around injuries, uh, eating disorders, burnout, depression, anxiety. So essentially when you're talking about health or mental health, it's anything that revolves around the biological and physiological aspects of a person, but that generally requires a healthcare professional to work with you to get you back into um, the best shape that you can be in, either from a mental standpoint or a physical standpoint. Right. Uh, that differs from mental wellness, which actually refers to a state of living a healthy lifestyle. So mental health was a state of being and existing. When we speak of wellness or well-being, we're talking about living a healthy lifestyle. So it's, it's active. Um, and with the words mental wellness, there is an assumption behind that term. And that assumption relates to choices or decisions that each of us make for our betterment or the collective betterment of humanity. So well, mental wellness is there's an active component to it of which we make decisions. So life is not just happening to us, but we take an active part. We become an active participant in our lives and making decisions that positively impact us. And that word positive is where it relates to wellness. So if you're making decisions that are not positively impacting you, you are not operating within the the concept of mental wellness. 
So that's the difference between uh, mental mental health and mental wellness. So, in other words, the mental health is a physical issue of some sort. Wellness is more of a, I guess, as you said, a state of being. I can, um, I need a some type of doctor help with mental health. Is that correct? And more yeah, psychological on mental wellness. Uh, well, mental health is more. You need some type of healthcare physician, uh, professional, and that can stem from a psychological perspective as okay. well. But okay. mental wellness refers to you yourself. Um, taking charge and making decisions that lead to a better outcome for you. So you are the acting agent in mental wellness, whereas in mental health, you're, you're existing as a state of being. Things are happening to you, and you need to seek the help of a healthcare professional to um, get those things in order. Okay. All right. I understand what you're saying. So it's one is – more of a right I couldn't hear you broke up oh I'm sorry I said one is more of a medical stuff that I that I have going on um, and the other one is more of me making decisions that will affect my mental capacity that's correct yes so mental wellness, because one of the things that I like to put it is is that battle that goes on in your mind um, is more of mental wellness versus mental health. Yes, that is a, a great way of, of paraphrasing it. It's more of the mental, um, I guess, obstacles that go on in your mind and how do you make decisions um, with those obstacles. So are you going to make decisions that are more positive towards the destination where you want to go, or are you going to make a decision that's going to lead you down the path where you don't want to go? Um, mm-hmm. That's called binary decision, but that helps within the frame of mental wellness. Okay. Okay. So how can we help people make their decisions from a mental wellness standpoint? Uh, from a mental wellness standpoint, I think this is a four-part uh, answer. One is, especially when we're talking about athletes, um, the ecosystem of an athlete uh, that encourages the, the, the athlete to know their worth and their value regardless of sports or what social media has to say. Um, the second one is understanding what self-determination and self-determination is, which involves the concept of, of motivation. And that stems through um, having autonomy, a sense of relatedness and competence, which I'll go through a little bit later. Uh, but that leads to making good and sound decisions, which again leads back to mental wellness. And then okay. understanding how to take all of those options that you have and boil them down into uh, binary options so that you can have two options to choose from, which is how I've pretty much lived my whole life. Um, and it's reduced a lot of the stress, anxiety, 
um, or a depression that I could have. And I've worked with others on this thought process and it's done the same for them. And, and mm-hmm. that's really helpful when it comes down to um, mental wellness. And then, of course, developing contingency plans, which involves understanding your interests, desires, and your likes outside of, you know, whatever it is you're doing. If you're an athlete and you're playing football, developing a contingency plan outside of football that um, involves your other interests and your desires that you like. If you like to draw, if you like to paint, if you like to mentor, mm-hmm then start developing a plan so if sports doesn't work out that you have something else that you can fall back on that also identifies with you. Now, that's something that uh, Walk-On Nation definitely spoke about, which is awesome. Yep, they definitely talked about that. And it's one of the things that, you know, as, we, as we talk about chasing dreams, and, you know, one of our guests earlier was talking about that if, if you chase your dream and you do the work necessary, you have a great opportunity to achieve that dream. Of course, a lot of people don't understand what that true work is and and what it takes to truly make it to the next level. Um, but if I put everything and I'm doing everything that I can, um, that I think I can or I should be doing, but I don't you talk about contingency plans. How you get a kid or a young person to think about a contingency plan when all he's thinking about is, I got to get to that plan? Well, that, for me, I would say that starts in the home. Um, and that starts with the ecosystem of the employee as well. So, mm-hmm. I mean, not the employee, the athlete as well. So when you're, when you're, an athlete and you're thinking about fire to make it to the NFL or NHL or the NBA, whatever that is, you're, you're practicing, you're playing, you're, you may be playing the video games to learn how you can do things better in real life. I mean, you're just taking every aspect of it that you can since you love that sport and trying to learn all you can. Uh, but the ecosystem of the athlete has to help the athlete understand that, hey, there's only a certain percentage of the population that's going to make it to X level. So while it's great that you have this dream, while it's great that you aspire to make it so far, um, it's always good to have a backup plan. So what happens Mm -hmm. if, and, and, and bringing the athlete back to, you know, life happens, life is going to occur. You could have an injury that career ending, in career ending. You could end up in an accident, um, a car accident, which stops you from playing your sport. I mean, there are a lot of different things that can happen. So the ecosystem of the athlete has to support them and their goals, but also support them in the sense of, hey, who are you? What other things do you identify with? Um, what do you like outside of sports that you could see yourself doing as to say, if you didn't make it as a professional athlete or after college and you're playing sports and you're finished, what could you see yourself doing? If it's still something centered around sports, is it coaching? Is it broadcasting? Is it media work where you're filming the games? And there's so many different other aspects where someone could still be involved in what they 
love, but they just do it in a different capacity. But it's good to have that talk, especially with young athletes, so they can Mm -hmm. go ahead and start developing that contingency plan. That's something that my parents did with me as an ex-athlete. They let me know, hey, you may or may not make it, but there are other things you're good at. There are other things that you may want to aspire to be. Explore them. You know, and then if you don't make it, then you have something to fall back on. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Now, and I'm going to go back to an, to an aspect that you were just talking about, what ifs. Because one of the things that I, I think is a very true statement is, and I'm going to say football, because that's what I've been involved with mostly. Football doesn't necessarily love you back. You might love football, but it doesn't necessarily love you back. And I'm sure that's true across the board for all sports. Because there are times when something happens, as you said, life happens, such as an injury. And, again, just that conversation you have in your head, um, you come back from an injury. I can, you know, that's, that's, that can be powerful and that could push them one way or another. Can we just talk about that a little bit? Uh, yes, that is tough. And I've, I've had to do that personally. I've actually had a fingernail go through my eyelid and cut mm. the top of my eyeball playing basketball to the point where I thought my yeah. eye was cut in half and I thought I lost my eye. Lo and behold, I didn't. Wow. Um, but I had to wear goggles to play on the basketball court which was tough from one standpoint because that also busted my eye open when I got Mm. hit in the same spot. So Mm. I was plagued with an injury of my left eye three or four times being popped open. And so I had to work through that each time to come back onto the court because I was very timid and I had to have what's called visualization or Um, mental imagery where I had to visualize myself before even stepping foot back onto the practice court and, and visualize myself playing, visualize myself doing the moves that I used to do, visualize myself shooting a shot and making it. I had to, to take myself into the game from a mental standpoint and, and put myself there in order for me to perform at the level that I was before the injury. And then on top of that, there's a lot of of self-talk and self-talk can be negative or positive. And I had to have that positive self-talk with myself on top of the mental imagery of putting myself on the court before I was actually on the court um, to help myself mentally prepare to step back on the court right at full speed without fear um, and be there for my teammates. And then I also right. had to have a sense of relaxation because with injury comes anxiety and apprehension. Uh, you know, if somebody tweaks their knee, they just don't go back out there running full speed and making cuts. They're, they're every, every time before they make a cut for a while, they're thinking about when well, my knee got to give out, you know? So exactly. I had to have relaxed myself and stop thinking about those negative things that could happen so that I could focus on playing the game that I love and, and reduce the amount of stress and anxiety that I was, I was putting on myself. Right. And 
I think it's, and of course, uh, I imagine it's because of uh, they see it more often now. But a lot of times, I would say from a ACL, it takes you about mm-hmm. nine months to a year to physically get over it, and then probably another three to six months to get over it mentally. Mm-hmm. And, and I imagine that's that that goes back into what you're talking about. Um, where one, I know my legs hurt is good, but is it going to give out again, or, or what if that happens, or and all those what if scenarios that run through your head. That unfortunately, I had a I, I tore my Achilles, and, and that's one of the things that even now, you know, a couple of years later, is kind of like I know it's good, but if I do that, what if? And so it's that mental part of it, and I guess that's the mental wellness side of things, where I can make decisions that were help me be lead a better life, right? Yeah, so like for your situation within Achilles or an ACL, um, mental wellness would be making sure you keep that uh, ACL or your Achilles strengthened uh, mm-hmm. so that it, it does not happen again. So that's, again, a decision that you're making to and hopefully ensure that you don't rupture and your Achilles or an ACL again. Um, So you become more cognizant of the things you need to do to keep those areas um, toned and strengthened. For me, it was stop playing basketball because obviously this keeps happening. So I need to choose either I'm going to have an eye or I may end up not having an eye from playing the game that I love because obviously I keep getting hit in the same eye. So for me, that decision was to stop playing basketball. And um, I centered myself around uh, media stuff that surrounded basketball and learning how to do the camera angles like you see on TV and developing commercials. So I took that route of channeling my love for the game of basketball and sports in general and learned a craft that could be potentially useful for me at some point in time. Um, in life. But for me, that mental wellness decision was to give up playing basketball, and I don't regret doing that. Okay. I understand. Sometimes it's tough, though. Sometimes it's tough to give up. It, it, it is. I'm not going to say that it was that it was easy to do, but you know, it, it was a decision that I felt needed to be made because again what's the probability that I keep getting hit in the same eye over and over again so something someone somewhere was telling me that it's time to hang it up um, right and so right. I, I just made that decision to do that yeah well hey well let me ask you this what is what do you feel is the most important part of an athlete's mental well-being uh, the most important part again that that goes back to again four parts the employee ecosystem i mean the the athlete ecosystem is is very very important you need to have a support system around you that's going to tell you the truth not just tell you what you want to hear but they're going to give you the good the bad and the ugly but they're also going to listen to you as the athlete to what your wants and what your desires are. A lot of times athletes feel caught up into doing what they think everybody else wants them to do. And 
you don't really ask the athlete what do they what do they want, what do they desire. Um, so having an ecosystem surrounding that athlete that allows them to express their wants, their desires, but also is there to kind of keep that athlete in check, say, hey, this is not possibly not a good decision for you. I know you may want to do this. I know this may feel good, but let's not do that. I think it is super um, important for an athlete to to have around them. And then, again, having that contingency plan. I, I don't care if, if you're LeBron James or whoever you are. You need to have a backup plan. One day it's going to end. It may end due to injury. It may end just because you've aged out of the sport. But one day, that your athletic career is going to end. And if everything is tied and your identity is tied to you playing that sport, where are you going to be once that ends? Mm-hmm. Which goes back to what Walk On Nation was talking about, that athletic identity uh, redefinition. Get redefined. Yes, you're right. A lot of athletes. I'm a football player. I'm a basketball player. I'm a soccer player. That's that's who they are. Um, And unfortunately, sometimes it's taken away from them quicker than they wanted to. Yeah, but that that also stems when we're talking about sports. I mean, even with with coaches, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. Say I'm a football coach or I'm a basketball coach. Well. That's what you do. Uh, that's not right. necessarily who you are. So even mm-hmm. and that stems for everybody, uh, whether you are in sports or not. Defining yourself by your occupation is not who you are. Right. That's true. That's true. Because I guess a a police officer could define himself as a police officer, something happened, and then all of a sudden, what do I do? So, yeah. Right. Regardless, I guess regardless of what your profession is, um, it's what you do and not who you are. That's correct. And I think it's important for athletes and people in general to self-reflect and reflect on the things that, you like to do that you enjoy doing and your family and your, your values and your principles, that's, that's who you are. You know, right. so like me, I'm, I'm a, I'm a family man. That that's who I am. I value family uh, pretty heavily. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to say, or I'm a aspiring psychologist or I'm a PhD student or anything like that. I, I'm a family man. Um, so when somebody asks me that question, that's going to be generally the first thing that comes out of my mouth. And, oh, by the way, yes, I, I do some of these other things. Mm-hmm. All right. The last question is kind of on a mental wellness strength side. And talking about that self-talk in your mind. How can you, or what's the way to overcome that negative self-talk? Like, for instance, for me, one of my goals is to break 80 playing golf. And unfortunately, when I start playing well, I start going to, well, this is going to be the day 
and then all of a sudden I do stuff to sabotage myself. So self-talk, how can you overcome that self-talk? For for negative self-talk, I put myself in the mindset of, is this thought going to lead to a behavior that's going to take me to my destination? And so that's where earlier I talked about that binary thought process or binary decision-making. It's either the thought that I'm thinking is going to lead to a behavior of where I am aspiring or wanting to go, or it's not. So if you're having a good day on the golf course and then all of a sudden it goes south, then maybe the thought process is maybe I have it and you've lost focus on the mechanics and everything else that you were doing previously that was allowing you to have a better day on the golf course. And so sometimes when we're doing well, we become complacent and or lackadaisical in certain things. And we actually backslide because we were doing well and we got overconfident with ourselves and that's just human nature. So just, having that self-talk with yourself to say, hey, is this next, uh, the the thought that's in your head, does this thought lead me to making a good decision or or not? If it doesn't lead me to making a good decision or towards the destination of where I'm trying to go, then I need to have a different thought and I need to act on a different behavior that's going to do that. That's how I overcome the negative self-talk. Hey, that's great, great. Hey, Tori, we really appreciate you coming on tonight. Uh, you gave us some really good insight on some things specifically between the different health and mental wellness. And mental wellness is something definitely that that we have a little bit more control over, and we got to find a way to make sure we stay on the well side of it. So we definitely appreciate your your, your talk tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Coach. Yes, sir. Well, hey, we're gonna go to a quick break. And they're going to come back with our last guest of the evening. Hold on one second. Good day. Yeah. You know what? I like the play. No dickity, no doubt. Play on, play at. Play on, play at. Yo, Trey, drop the verse. Face of Black Street, the homies got at me, collab creations, bump like agony, no doubt. I put it down, never slouch. As long as my credit can vouch, that dog couldn't catch me. Tell me who could stop with Dre making moves, attracting honeys like a magnet, giving them orgasms with my mellow accent. Still moving this flavor with the homies Black Street and Teddy, the original rough shaker. Shutting it down, good lord. Baby got them open all over town. Strictly bitch, you don't play around. Cover much ground, got game by the town. Getting paid is a forte, each and every day. True play away, I can't get her out of my mind. Wow. I think about the girl all the time. Wow, wow. East side to the west side, push the fat drive, it's no surprise. She got tricks in the stash, stacking up the cash, fast when it comes to the gas. By no means average, it's on when she's got to have it. Baby, you're a perfect 10. I want to get in. Can I get down? So I say, I like the way you work it. No diggity. I thought to bag it up. I like the way you work it. No diggity. I 
Talk show coming up on our number three, and uh, we're coming. We have our last guest, Ms. Lydia Plachek. Lydia, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Coach. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Now, of course, Lydia is a assistant AD for academics at UT San Antonio, which is uh, where I had a chance to meet her and we had a chance to work together. But Lydia, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, I've been here at UTSA now for six years. Um, Actually, this is the seventh season um, of football that I've been working with them. So, but before that, uh, born and raised in the Midwest, right in the middle, Kearney, Nebraska, small town. And really when I went to school at South Dakota State, really introduced myself to college athletics at that point, was involved in equestrian, and then slowly made my way down to Texas, where I work with our student-athletes academically. So, All right. Before we start talking about academics, 
Tell me what you think of Nebraska right now. They had a tough loss last week. Oh, you're breaking my heart. I talked to my brother about that the other day. I mean, as as Husker fans, <laughs> it's, it's cradle to grave, right? So uh, I still believe in Coach Frost. I really do. But, man, I I want to see some good news from the Huskers. That's for sure. Well, hey, well, hopefully they're going to get things rolling. I think they have Penn State this week, right? That is correct. I think it's a noon game. Yeah. So both both teams is a must win on both sides. No so question. Somebody's gonna get that must win. So we'll see. We'll we'll keep that one on the radar. But to academics. Now academics, I know is important to you, but mm-hmm. with athletics, it goes hand in hand. Or should they go? Or they should go hand in hand. Talk a little bit. About Yeah, I think you bring up a valid point, uh, especially with when you talk to any of our student athletes these days, their identity is solely wrapped in their sport. And so, you know, we call it the necessary evil. If you want to do one, you got to do the other. And that's that's academic. So how do you put a positive spin on something that they may not have ever seen themselves being good at before. And so that's where really where we come in and we talk about there's a lot of opportunities for you academically. One, especially if you're a scholar, student athlete, um, you get, for football anyway, that's a full ride potentially for you. And so how are you going to maximize your potential? There's so many ways we can draw it up. So when you really start getting guys excited about, hey, you can graduate in three and a half years, have that degree before you're even um, looking to get drafted. How awesome is that? Mm -hmm. And then let's say that doesn't work out for you. You still have a year of eligibility left, maybe even two, if you've Mm -hmm. redshirted. And you can go get your master's degree all paid for. So when you start getting that seed planted for them, and that might be the first time they ever hear about it is on an official visit, for instance, well, right. now I'm getting excited. Maybe this academic thing isn't so bad. Yeah. And then you have some that uh... <laughs> that are a challenge, right? And and really, I mean, if you want to get to the nuts and bolts of it, right, you know, yeah. it's meeting that yeah. student where they're at. And yeah. how do I get that position coach involved also? Because they're mm-hmm. not going to listen to me necessarily as much as they're going to listen to somebody who's controlling their playing time too, um, and really That's instilling true. the importance and the value of getting that college degree. Right, right. Now, I'm going to talk on a couple of different levels, um, and want you to hit on both of them. Mm-hmm. We talk about the importance of academics. Let's talk about that from a high school perspective. Yeah. And then let's also talk about it from a collegiate perspective. Great point. So for so high school, yeah, for, for a high school kid, why why is that important for him? Sure. Well, there's this phrase called uh two point knee or two point three or take a knee. Um and so there's a website that I wanna actually throw out there for anybody who's listening that's, you know, in high school right now or parents, um, especially of that sophomore, junior age range, 
Uh, it's mm-hmm. literally the number two, spell out the word point, and then the letter or the number three dot org. So 2.3.org. And it really outlines the importance of what benchmarks does my son or daughter need to hit in order to get um, into a Division One school, for instance. Um, and it also lays out what you need for Division Two. It talks about the sliding scale of GPA versus uh, test scores. And um, there also are these core courses that you need to have, so many by your junior year leading into your senior year. you got to have 16 total, but 10 by that mm-hmm. uh, in between junior and senior season. So, you know, those things are really important, and it's you don't want to be after the fact of not knowing that that's what I needed and then try to scramble at the end. Um, right. Because you may be finding yourself looking at a, a junior college because you're not you're not eligible. So mm-hmm. those are those are really important aspects. I think there's not enough time in the show to to go through it with a fine tooth comb. But the other website, you know, is just the NCAA Eligibility Center. It really has the updated information as it relates to COVID as well and what those guidelines are going to look like as we enter uh, spring 2021. The and that's that's been a a big topic of how yeah. are the guidelines going to be different. Now I know one thing that's happened: test scores aren't going to be used. So how are they going to determine if a kid is eligible? It's just going to be I imagine just going to be your GPA. So is it the same, or are they raising GPA, or how are they doing that? So there's still a lot of debate about that because I think, you know, as anything right now, I think I've used the term fluidity a million times in the year 2020, but that's exactly mm-hmm. what we're dealing with is a very fluid situation. So as I understand it, and there's a, a Q&A that gets developed every week by the NCAA and trying to answer these questions, um, really we're looking at right now, are official visits even going to be a thing in spring 2021? So how does that change the landscape of not only recruiting, but what do high school kids, young men and women need to do in order to get into school? Um, right. And you mentioned that test score. And so as of right now, I can tell you what we did this fall, and that was our institution waived, much like many institutions across the nation, waived the test mm-hmm. score to even be admitted. You just, you know, you want to come to college and you meet these baseline um scores, GPAs, graduated, you know, come to college. And so I think you're going to see a lot of that because the NCAA, yes, they make a lot of rules. I think no one's going to argue that. But they also want what's best for the student athlete. And given this unprecedented time, they want more people to have more access than than not. So I think you're going to see a Mm -hmm. lot of similar things in the spring. I haven't seen anything being raised about a GPA. And so – I think that that 2.3 is going to stand. I just think you're going to see that test score wave um, across the board more than likely. Right. Now, I know what what the meaning is, but some of our listeners might not. Um, We keep talking about 2.3. What is the importance of 2.3? Sure. That is the GPA – in your core courses that a high school student is going to have to have in order to play at the next level. 
So I think the NCAA did a, a major campaign right before 2016, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's right around that time frame of that mm-hmm. being the new benchmark. And they had a lot of posters and a lot of things uh, advertising a bench, literally. You're going to be on the bench if you don't get a 2.3. So you're going to be you'd be riding the bench the whole time. So I think they did a really good job from that perspective of getting that to stick. Mm-hmm. So it's, but you'd be a partial qualifier from the 2.0 to the 2.2, Correct. right? Correct. And then so we can get into the weeds again about what a academic red shirt looks like too. Um, mm. But that sliding scale, and I don't have, have that thing in front of me necessarily or memorized by that matter, but there is this gray area of you can be a little bit below and then, you know, there's some things we can do on our end also to, to try to get you into school. Exactly. Which I would imagine with COVID, the test score is not there. So correct. So there's there's a waiver process. Yeah. Okay. We did a lot of what we call them COVID waivers. They're, they're one-time waivers. Mm -hmm. And you can use it once. There's multiple different levels of COVID waivers at this point in time regarding academics and or progress toward degree. Um, you can use it one time during your, your collegiate career. So. Okay. Now, the test scores, of course, to this point, there are a lot of times um, testers were closed, so you couldn't even take a test. Some places allowed you to take it, some places were closed. Um, do you think the emphasis on test scores is going to decrease, stay the same um, in the future after we get past COVID? Or what are your thoughts on that? You know, that's a great question. I can give you my philosophy behind it. I think I think test scores aren't as great of a measurement as a GPA. Because when I look at a GPA, I look at work ethic. Um, and again, someone's going to say, well, my high school was way harder than so-and-so's high school in this school district. And while that may be true or not true, I don't think a test score necessarily means or is an accurate predictor of how well you're going to do in college. Because I think Mm -hmm. college is definitely a grind. And are you resourceful enough to go find the opportunities and the people who are going to help you? Um, I don't think a test score is going to show that. I think there's a certain amount of grit. So my belief and my hope is there's a less of an emphasis on a test score. Whether that happens Mm -hmm. or not is yet to yeah, yeah. Who knows? Because I, 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 there is a lot of money being made on SAT and ACT. Not that sure. it's all about me, but there is there is a lot of money being made there. Um, so I know there'll be a fight to make sure you keep that emphasis there. Um, but but I agree with you that it's not always a good indicator. Because um, I remember a young man that, that played for me when I was at uh, the University of South Carolina, that he just barely got into school. But he graduated with like a three seven. I mean, he got a four zero his last semester, um, and he was a kid that That's was impressive. coming in that that he had a two one coming in. Um, but but he worked his behind off, and he he did a good job. And uh, lucky for him, he still have an opportunity to continue playing now. So that's a good thing for him. Um, but 
just that work ethic, I think, is huge. And, and that definitely can turn the table for a lot of kids if they're willing to put in the work. That's the key. No question. Are they willing to put in no the work? No question. You know, and what support system do they have? Are, is mm-hmm. there academic staff, tutors, coaches? I mean, it takes a whole village, right? We, we all know this. And right. so are they willing to accept that help and guidance? I think, you know, if they do, they're going to graduate. No question. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That is true. Yes, that is true. That is true. The um, now from a academic standpoint, we 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 didn't get to the, the collegiate perspective. Um, we haven't from yet. a collegiate perspective. Let's talk about the importance of academics. Yeah. So how is that going to help shape their first job? Yeah, of course. So I think. And I say this all the time to anyone in our computer lab that's listening to me right now. You know, you just need this piece of paper. And I know that's probably an unpopular opinion, but this college degree now more than ever is is necessary. Um, it's it's basically a high school diploma anymore. Um, so this is going to open a lot of doors for you. You need it. It's also an opportunity for you to meet a ton of people just by being in college and going to those networking nights. They're going to say, first thing, do you check mm-hmm. the box? Do you have that college degree? And then you're going to be right. able to get your foot in the door. But if you don't have that, it's not going to matter really how connected you are because that's kind of a baseline check mm-hmm. anymore. So, yes, I, I reiterate that. Time and time again, because again, you know, I get responses. I'm going to the league, and my response back is, "I hope, I hope you do. I really do. Like, there's no one going to be clapping more than me, <laughs> besides your mama, right? Um, but at mm-hmm. the end, you know, then what? You know, you're you're going to need this to then go do the next thing. So. You know, hopefully it sinks in. I think it does eventually, but usually it takes a couple more birthdays. So, yep, exactly, exactly. Now, speaking of going to the league, Mm -hmm. how many times, or does it happen that a scout comes to talk to you about their academic performance? All the time. Even during COVID, when they can't actually come visit, uh, I really thank Marcus Davenport for this because every scout in the nation I actually got to meet when Marcus was getting Mm -hmm. drafted as a number one pick. So, um, so so what you're saying is, (laughs) so what you're saying is that how I do in college from an academic standpoint can have an impact on if I get drafted or not? 1,000%. So all those kids that that think that academics is not important, think again. Think again is right. I mean, even when scouts can't come on campus right now, because Mm -hmm. so many of them know me at this point, after six years here, I get phone calls, Zoom calls, Tons of emails. Hey, do you have time to talk about these three, four, five young men? Right. Um, I, I want to talk to you. 
because they want to know who that person is, mm-hmm. how they learn, number one. I mean, that's important, right. too. I think mm-hmm. – I mean, I give the NFL a lot of credit. They they want to know these players inside and out. And so the number one question I get, and I think this is very important also for any any listener, is how do they treat women? That's the number one question I get. Mm. And then how important is academics? Mm. Wow. Right? So I think there's a lot about academics, wow. but there's a lot about character that gets uncovered in those calls. Mm. Wow. That's huge. That's it huge. is. So I hope some young men are listening to this right now. Yeah. Because they they uh not just you getting that work done, but how you treat your girl can have an effect mm-hmm. on whether you get opportunity to play at the next level or not. So it's uh correct. It is definitely a a huge deal. Now another aspect of that is NFL stands for not for long. So the guys that do have an opportunity to make it, um, on average, they spend 2.3 years in the league. So right. that means that they're going to be 24 or 25 years old, and now they have to find a job. So, again, the importance of getting that education is going to definitely change their opportunities once they finish playing. Um, would you agree with that statement? Oh, 1,000%. The best thing anyone can do is have options when they get done playing. And the best way to do that, right. in my mm-hmm. opinion, is not only through connections and the people you meet, but it, but having that piece of paper that says, I stuck it out and I accomplished this, right. which is a lot to be right. said for our student mm-hmm. athletes. You're, you're holding down yeah. basically a full-time job as an athlete and battling academics every day too. So that says a lot about you. Yep. Now, shifting just a little bit, mm-hmm. I'm under the impression that a lot of companies like athletes. Why is that? Work ethic, hands down. Um. That and this undeniable need to win. You know, companies love that, that mm-hmm. drive, that itch that they have. Um, you know, the one that comes to mind right now is, and I'm going to throw out a name, uh, of Dalton Sturm, and you know him well too. Mm-hmm. Got a job, landed a job with Stryker, which is a medical device company. And yep. I mean, uh-huh. Completely driven guy in sales. Like, I mean, athletes are looking for for individuals like that, especially at that team lead type position. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, athletes. People want to hire athletes. They know you're going to show up. They know they're going to get as much out of you as they can because you've already done it. Your resume says you did it. Right. Mhm. So it is getting that piece of paper. We know that one that 
if you have a chance to play professionally, they're going to ask about your academic work ethic. Two, whenever that's, that career ends, whether it's after you finish playing college, if you get a chance, we know that companies want athletes. Yep. But you got to get that piece of paper. You got to get that piece of paper. It's, it's that's that's the thing you got to make sure happens. And uh, if you put that work ethic in, you graduate, you got an opportunity to find that success that you want to have. And I think that's that's really what we want to help these kids do is find that success. Absolutely. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. No. There's going to be days you don't want to do it. There's going to be days when when uh, your academic advisor like Lydia is going to be running behind you trying to get you to turn something in. <laughs> and write a <laughs> true. <laughs> uh, but it you got to find a way to get it. Yeah. So last question before before we go. Um, how has COVID, because everybody's had to adjust with COVID. Yeah. How has that sort of made things a little different? And what that you're doing different, you're like, we will continue doing this even after COVID's done. Sure. Um, I would say early on when we were first adapting to it, I think that was the key word is adaptability. And how are we going to mm-hmm. pivot with tutoring? And how are we going to pivot with our weekly meetings? Because um, there was a there was a massive challenge. All of our student athletes were going back to home or wherever home was for them, which presented its own challenges in and of itself. Of do they have Wi-Fi? Do they have a computer access? And if not, how do we get them one? And so, you know that that you know presented a lot of challenges. And I'm glad that we're all you know, kind of in a better normal situation from being back on campus now. Um, But, Mm -hmm. you know, to answer your actual question, like, what are we going to keep? I think from a tutoring perspective, we were able to really look kind of outside of ourselves and say, what is the best method that we can do right now? And what can we look for that potentially is something we can do in the future that's going to be better? And so I think there is a program called tutorme.com and we're, we're doing online tutoring right now through um, just our normal, what we would do our, our basic tutoring that was in our academic center, same tutors. We just do it virtually through um, uh, a blackboard collaborate, which is our, our main platform, but tutor tutorme.com is one that, I think we're really going to look forward to in the future because it is 24 seven tutoring. Yeah. You heard me right. 24 seven online. Wow. Let's say I'm working on a program at 1130 at night, do it 1155 or 1159. And I don't know how to turn this in. Well, I can click on this link. I can upload the document. There's going to be somebody there on the other line and Mm. they're going to be like, Oh, well, here's what we can do, 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 you know, and then they can upload it and it's done. So they're not calling me at 1130 saying they can't turn in an assignment at 1159, you know, and it's really, I think it's right. going to be more effective. So instead of having an hour long tutoring session, you know, you, you can have opportunities for, for young men to hop on there and, you know, multiple times a week, just do 30 minutes, you know, so, I think we're really looking at that. So that's been a really 
beneficial aspect really flipped tutoring on its head for us and how can we make it better and especially on the road how mm-hmm. can we get them help while they're traveling mm-hmm. so Definitely. that is one piece that I think COVID we wouldn't even have entertained probably because mm-hmm. um, we were so used to having face-to-face tutoring and it works well and it does so I think there's something to be said about human face-to-face interaction and learning and teaching yeah. but in light of where we're at right now, this is a great for us. Yep. And, and I think kids learn differently. And yeah. some of them, it's going to be great. Some of them need to get in front of somebody um, face-to-face. So, so that is, that's good. That's good. Well, hey, we definitely appreciate you coming on and joining us tonight. And uh, hopefully uh, UTSA can go and get that win against their arch rivals, UTEP, yes. if we can. Um, yes, which, I hope so too. I appreciate you having me on, Kurt. Yep. Hey, well, we appreciate you taking the time and uh, joining us. And please tell all the guys that that I know down there that I said hello. I will definitely do and that. Take care. Great we, talking to yep. you. Yes, ma'am. Well, hey, we're going to take another quick break. Our last break of the night, and we'll be back to to uh, finish up here shortly. Be like 
Hey, this is Everett Sands with the West Foundation Sports Talk Show. When we're finishing up our last 25 minutes of the night, I have my co-host, uh, Marco Butler, still on with us. Marco, we had a pretty good night tonight. We had some good guests on. Some great guests, great topics just to go through. It was great. Yeah, you know, we started off talking with uh, Donald Thompson, uh, who's a entrepreneur, and he, he owns his own company. He's a CEO. He's a and and he really brought some good things to light, you know. Um, just talking about, uh, you know, when we talk about advice for for kids is, and to make sure they understand that it's not just about talent, and you've got to go on and be able to be consistently good, even in the midst of adversity. You know, you talked about those quiet moments of work mm-hmm. when you're there, when nobody sees you. That allows you to be that guy on game day. It just doesn't happen. You're just not going to show no, up on game day and, and be the star. You know, there's a lot of work behind closed doors that a lot of people don't see. Your teammates will, but a lot of them don't yeah. see. Yeah. And, and that, that is so huge. And, and I think that goes not just in, in the work, I mean, in Sports, but that's in the business world as well. So there's oh, no exactly. such thing as an overnight success. You know, it's uh, a lot of work that's done behind closed doors. And then the other thing that he hit on was uh, perseverance. The great mm-hmm. ones can be successful on their worst day, and that's so true. You know, when when you're having a bad day, is your bad day? I just had a bad play. Or is it truly right. a bad day? The great ones have bad days. They have bad plays, but not bad days. Uh, so yeah, how do you overcome that? that? That I know you've seen as well. Yep. And and that's a lot of times it's focus. Which sort of leads us to the, to the next part of things. You know, that focus when I have a bad play, do I concentrate on that? Or do I go on and learn from it and move on? And that mental aspect of the game is so important. You know, oh, then so we much. had I mean, the uh, Walk on Nature come by. I'm sorry? Mm-hmm. No, exactly. The, uh, How to play the next play. Yeah. And, you know, and you play, you coach the DBs. they got to have bad memories. Coaching the Yes. I mean, it's such an offensive game, and you're going to have a play, but you can't dwell on that one play, and you have to be able to focus. I tell them, like, all the time, you have to be able to – do your job the very next play instead of worrying about what just happened. Mm-hmm. If not, you will. Exactly. They'll eventually expose you. <laughs> and like I said, yep. it carries for exactly. off the exactly. field as well. <laughs> yep. Now, as a running back coach, you know, the bad play for me, the really bad play is when you fail to take a security <laughs> ball. Now, Correct. anybody that played for me know. If you fail to protect the security ball, you don't have to look at me. Just jog off the field. Because <laughs> right. you're coming out. You're coming out. No, right, when you get your chance to go back in, you got you to gotta, you gotta go on and put that out of your mind and go away. But if you fail to protect the security ball, just jog off the field. <laughs> just, it's going to happen. Just come on out. It's going to happen. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but, hey, but that, that's one that it's, it's uh, that, that was a huge thing for me. Um, you know, next we had the Walk On Nation come on. 
And one of the big things that they talked about was athletic identity redefined. And, you know, that is true. Um, and, again, you were, you were an athlete, and I was an athlete. We saw ourselves as football players. Um, Correct. But you got to be able to say that I'm not just a football player and that I have self-worth outside of our sport. And I think that's so important. You see more of that now with guys that's getting involved in the community a lot more. I mean, pushing through mm-hmm. the athletic departments, but also on their own. And then being active and being a vocal and being out in the public and trying to do more for the people in the community, right. for right. their schools. Yep. And that's, that's extremely important. And, you know, one of the things that uh, you often you don't hear about it as much, but you, we heard about it is how some athletes, when they finish playing, talking about professional athletes, when they finish playing, they were lost. Mm-hmm. They had been in a, a player for so long, they didn't know what to do now that sport was gone. And uh, and that's, that's, that's definitely sad. Um, you know, another thing that yeah. the Walk-On Nation talked about was the superhero syndrome, and and that's real as well. You know, where where a kid believes that I got to make it. If I don't make it, I can't help my family get out of this situation. Right. And that's the only way that we can. And that's that's what the West Foundation is all about. We want to help kids understand that you can be successful without being a professional right. athlete. That's not the only way to. Uh, to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. And, oh, and it starts with education. Not. You know, and it's, hey, you get you a good degree, you get you a good job, and all of a sudden you got an opportunity to be successful. And yes, you definitely have to, you don't have to pull that pressure on yourself. Yeah, you don't have to pull all that pressure on yourself. And then just talking about the mental aspects of it, it goes to uh, what Tory Davis was hitting on. And, you know, just the mental wellness side of things. You know, and one of the things he said, that's a state of living a healthy lifestyle and taking the change or taking the decisions that we make to make a better life. So there's times that we have things in our mind that don't necessarily help us. So big thing he was talking about is let's get it down to two decisions, one or two. Mm-hmm. Right. It's kind of, I guess it's kind of like on the SAT back in the day. You said, if you can narrow it down to two, go on and guess. <laughs> right. Um, Focus on it. But, uh, yep, you can get it down to two. I think that you're going to be in a, in a good situation. And another big thing that he talked about <clears throat> was, one, know your worth and your value. Um, and then have a contingency plan. And I think that's important for kids to start understanding because you know and I know that football doesn't always love you back. Right. Yeah, having a plan is, is huge. And like I said, like I said before, don't throw everything, all, all your eggs in just in one basket. Be multi-dimensional and have a lot of different avenues where you can be successful in whatever you choose. I know many people mm-hmm. that's, that have exactly. their hands in various things to help themselves. This is true. This is true. You know, one of the things talking with uh, 
some different financial people has had more than one stream of income. Exactly. So, and that is uh, that's something that you want to do. So you got to have a plan, got to have a contingency plan. Um, chase your dream, but just start thinking about what would I want to do after finish And again, when you finish playing, it's not always your decision, um, but have a plan of what I want to do afterwards. And and then we started talking with Lydia and talking again, that tie in right there with that is the academics. Academics is so important, so important. And, you know, one of the things I, I don't think a lot of kids knew is that scouts will go talk to your academic advisors. <laughs>
this sort of goes back to one, what they're looking for, but goes back to two, make sure you have a contingency plan. Right. So exactly. with NASCAR, they kind of have a tryout, so to speak, or a little combine to see if you're physically ready to do it. And his his mind was, I'm going to the NFL, so I don't want to go do the NASCAR thing. Now, again, NASCAR going to pay you six <laughs> figures. Right. They, they don't know that at first. But he said, nope, I'm going to the NFL. So I'm not going to do that. So, again, make sure we have that contingency plan um, and, and be ready to roll. Because, uh, unfortunately, he didn't get drafted. And because he didn't go to the combine for the NASCAR, he didn't get that job either. Uh, but he's doing pretty good for himself. But but that's just yeah. you know sometimes you got to make sure that you know I do have that contingency plan in place. So have another plan and like I said, different avenues. So how are you going to try to manage your future? Is is key is key yep. in everything. Yep, that is so true. Because they the the thing that is you know uh, a is going to happen. Is that the sport's going to end it one day? Whether you have somebody tell you that you're not <laughs> going to play anymore, mm-hmm. or injured, or you're just like I'm too old to do this anymore, you retire. Right. It's going to end at some point. It's going to end at some point. So what are you going to do mm-hmm. at, after it ends? Yeah, I mean, in the NFL, I mean, the average time is. Three years, three and a half years, maybe. My uncle, yep. I have an uncle that works yep. in the NFL and player engagement, and, and that's what he handles. He handles the rookies each year and kind of helps them understand that same deal of having plans and financially and everything else uh, throughout the league. And you know, how do you know about after you finish playing? It could be next week, exactly. it could be in ten years, mm-hmm. but either way, you're going to have to have a plan. <laughs> yep, because it's going to happen. It's going to happen, yeah. no doubt about it. But as we talk about plans, we're going to transition a little bit. And last week was a lot of postponements or cancellations. You had Army yeah. versus Air Force. You had Tulsa versus Navy. North Carolina, UNC Charlotte versus MTSU. University of Texas San Antonio versus Rice. Purdue versus Wisconsin. Arizona versus Utah. FIU versus Utah. And Washington versus Cal. That was all last week postponements because of COVID. <laughs> and right. this week, you already got Memphis and Navy, Air Force and Wyoming, oh, yeah. Alabama and LSU, and then Auburn had 12 positive cases, so they paused all the activities. And yeah. I would imagine there probably going to be a couple of more before the before the week is over. So yeah, what I is the Texas plan? What and the plan be? Yeah. Oh, man, it's the plans. Um, I mean, it's really more the, uh, I don't know, you have your positive cases, but it's the uh, it's the contact tracing that gets a lot of people mm-hmm. as well because you can understand mm-hmm. when, if say, a quarterback may get positive, but you don't know who else is in his quarterback room at that time or the spacing that they have. Exactly. Exactly. Or the tracing. So that's that's what's yeah. kind of affecting people with that. They don't want to, you know, put other people at mm-hmm. harm or other teams at harm. Yep. And so yeah, and I heard I mean, it's gonna continue happening. It will, it will, and I imagine this is gonna affect the college football playoffs down the road. 
Because right now you're talking about Alabama, the number one, number one team in the country does not play in this week because of COVID. Right. I think it's more because of LSU, but still, they're not playing this week. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I can and, see that affecting the playoff where, I mean, you know, you got one team that's got five games on the year they played. And one might have, might have won mm-hmm. all five, but the other team has nine or ten. I mean, how does how that equal? Yeah. <laughs> kind of like we were talking earlier. You know, is Ohio should Ohio State be number one when they only played three games? Everybody else right. played eight. It's tough to to say that they're gonna be you know, jump over them. Um, even though they are number three. Um but they are three. They only played they only played three games. So Yeah. And and speaking of Ohio State, they got Maryland this week, which Maryland had a nice win last week. So Yeah. Um so we'll see what happens with that. Uh, Coastal Carolina, they uh, they got Troy. They go to Troy this week. Troy, so Coastal okay. Was, Troy is uh, sitting at four and three. Coastal's eight and zero. Oh. So uh, that's going to be a, a, be a pretty good, good game. game. Troy's a good team. Wake Forest versus North Carolina. Wake Forest, North Carolina's a five. It's an interesting game there. Wake Forest has done well this year. And mm-hmm. you know, North Carolina's offense is pretty is going rolling around pretty good. So Yeah. I think, I think yeah, yeah. This should be a good game. Yep. Now now North Carolina's quarterback's a pretty good ball player now. He can spin that thing. Yes he is. And uh a must game a must win game of the week for both teams. Both teams is must win. You got Penn State and Nebraska. I Ooh. think it's a must win for both teams. I would agree. I mean, that game right there is. Uh, See what happens with that. Yeah, you don't want to lose now, that game. Would they both be zero and four? Well, One of them I will think be... uh, Nebraska only played two. I think they're zero and two. Okay. Yep, they're zero and two. And then um, another big one is Nebraska. I mean, excuse me. Notre Dame had a huge win against Clemson last week, and as you know, yeah. after winning the big game. There's also an opportunity <laughs> for a big letdown. So, will they be able to keep that momentum? They got Boston College. Boston College played Clemson the first half really, really well. Um, they did. So they did play that's real well. Be a, another game to keep. And I believe they're at home too this week. So mm-hmm. That will be a good game. Yep. And then Florida had a huge win against Georgia last week. And then they got Arkansas. Now Arkansas is playing, uh, you know, pretty pretty good football right now. Um, they are. So Their head coach is not playing. He's not there this week because of COVID. No, I he's. Uh, if I heard earlier today, that's all where he has COVID. You never know how that ha- affects a team and stuff with those games. Exactly. exactly. They have been playing well. And, and if the head coach has it. What about the content? I mean, the contact tracing. Anybody else going to be pulled from the lineup? All right. I don't know. I saw an NFL he was, team he was had five, five coaches missing. Um, so was we hanging around the office more than any other group? I don't know. Yeah. Then you yeah, got South way. Carolina at two and four. Ole Miss at two and four. Um, uh, another must win. It might be a must win. It might be a must-win game. Yep. For both. Yep. 
for both of them. Just, just where they're at. And, and then uh, another must win for Michigan. They got Wisconsin. Now, Wisconsin hasn't so played I think in a while, has it? Must win for Michigan. Because I know Wisconsin's been out for a few weeks because of the tracing. And Wisconsin is. Yep. Yep. So uh, I think they're one and zero. I think they're one and zero. I think they're one and zero. I think they've only so played eight. one. They had a big win, but I don't yep. know if they played since then. Yep. Like I said, I think they're one and zero. Um, so that's going to be a big one for them. That is and a big game for Michigan, though. The team after not playing for a couple of weeks played versus the team that's playing the last couple. Oh, guys. Yeah, and then one that you. Probably at the beginning of the season might not have served as a big game. Um, you got Northwestern three and zero and Purdue two and zero. So uh, wow. Northwestern is currently ranked at number twenty three, and we will we'll see. We'll keep our eye on that one too because uh, that should be a good uh, competitive game. That should there. be a good. Yep, that should be a good game. So it's it's going to be a good week. If we can keep everybody playing, it's going to be a good week of college football. So yeah. we'll keep our eyes on. As we get to close, um, just want to thank everybody for listening in tonight. We did have some great speakers. And I think the thing I want everybody just to, to remember is that you are not your occupation. So don't define yourself as that. Whether it's me as a as a coach, I don't want to make I don't want to be, you know, Coach Sands, my Everett Sands, that coach. Or if I'm a player, I'm not a football player. I'm Joe Schmo that plays football. And make sure that we keep our identity. Um, we want to identify with that because that's the sport that we love. But we don't want to put all of our identity in that because if you do, you can find yourself in a situation somewhere down the line. Um, you want to make sure that you understand that it's not just talent. You know, there's a book by John Maxwell, one of my favorite books, and the name of it is Talent is Never Enough. And it talks about how your character, your teamwork, your integrity, um, your practice, all those things are important because just running out on the field with pure talent is not enough um, to be the best you can be. It might be enough to beat that particular team or that particular person, but not to be the best you can be. And if we do these things, we're going to have an opportunity to put ourselves in position to be successful. And as always, I believe academics is one of the most important things that you can do. Um, Because as you heard here, not just from putting yourself in position to be successful after I finish, but operations to play at the next level, your academics are going to be a part of that as well. This is Everett Sands and my co-host tonight, Marco Butler. We appreciate you all listening in. Y'all have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Take care.